What's happening, people? Thank you very much for downloading and pressing play on episode number 19 of the Over the Hill podcast. Big shouts out to everyone who's been leaving your five-star reviews on iTunes. It does not go unnoticed. Please keep them coming. Don't forget to subscribe if you're on iTunes, follow if you're on Spotify, subscribe if you're on YouTube, Google, TuneIn, CastBox, wherever you listen or watch the podcast. Make sure you're following and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On the show today, I sit down with the one and only Henny G. We had a wicked conversation talking about his roots in music as a young child, all the way up to his time on Rinse FM, his involvement in the emergence of the dubstep scene in the UK, and loads of other stuff in between. We also had a really good conversation about his time on Flex FM, being part of the management, and helping those guys go legal. So if you're into your radio, if you're into your UK music, again, another wicked episode for you. This one goes really long, but we touched on a hell of a lot of subjects, so I hope you enjoy it. Episode number 19 myself james hill and my special guest the one and only henny g you are now listening to the over the hill podcast Obviously, when I mentioned Ice Gold, I remember when we started that with Charlie. But I then kind of ended up, I was playing on Rinse at the time. I was on Rinse and my, the stations that I was doing, like Reactive Film and whatnot, and I just kind of like veered away. So I would always listen. I was still at my mum's. I was listening what was to what was going on, but I wasn't around, but I would listen. And then I'd notice like there was people from like, loads of people from Freeze were on like ice cold image, like when Freeze was coming to their end and old flex guys was on there. It was it's all mad, man. Yeah, man. Well, um, we'll we'll fade into that little bit there. And, yeah, uh, that right. I can reload and... <laughs> them at any time. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the thing is, it's one of them ones where I've got the little uh, the intro music, and then I could just bring in the vocal of us chatting shit. So yeah. there goes there goes the intro. But yeah, episode <laughs> uh, episode number nineteen of the Over the Hill podcast. Really special guest today. Someone I uh, got a lot of time for, a lot of respect for. Been been reading up a bit more on him, but I always knew who he was in the first place. Real legend in the underground radio scene. Done a lot for UK music and a little bit of an unsung hero in my opinion someone who is in charge of his own radio station been on various pirate stations across the uk been involved with different artists getting music released and everything else one of the pioneers of dubstep i'm sitting here today with the one and only henny g bruv welcome to the podcast thank you for being here that was a nice intro now big ups brother nice one james now thanks for having me man rolls off the tongue mate that's years of pirate though isn't it do you know what i mean yeah 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 (laughs) no doubt so yeah, we'll get into um we'll get into the early days for you. Um, because you were obviously running a radio station before most people were even getting on radio at an age where you know a lot of DJs still can't even mix properly. So you obviously started super young. How did you get started in the game and what and what done it for you? Oh yeah. So I mean, I could obviously go on forever. And anybody that knows me, I can fucking talk for England, but I'll try and keep it relatively short and sweet. But um basically I I grew up in um in Shepherd's Bush, like for like the first five years of my life. And then in 1992, my mum and dad, they moved to Hammersmith, which is literally just next door down the road. So I'm, I'm a West Londoner. And obviously um, growing up in that area, like going to carnival every single year, you know, like I was always surrounded by like underground music. Do you know what I mean? Like walking past like all the sound systems at carnival and stuff like that. But as a kid, I used to actually be quite frightened of it, like, because sometimes, like, you'd walk past the sound systems and the sound systems were so fucking loud. And I, I actually remember being afraid of them, do you know what I'm saying? But my mum and dad, they used to go on floats 
and they used to listen to like a lot of Calypso and soca music and all that kind of stuff. But initially for me, getting into music point blank period, that's a lot to do with my, with my mum, but majority my dad's because he was, he calls himself like a failed musician. I don't believe that. I don't feel like he's a failed musician. Otherwise I wouldn't exist, but he was like in the, in like a rock and roll band in, in the, in the sixties. Like I'm 35 now and my dad's like 80. So my dad was already like 50 years old by the time I was five. So I, I had like an older dad um, as to like other kids my age, they had like younger dads and stuff like that. But his um, musical influence on me was like a big, big, big thing. Like every Sunday without fail playing like a lot of soul music, like Isaac Hayes, Marvin Gaye, he lo loved like Sam Cooke, all that kind of stuff. And I kind of took... um. Uh, a, an early ear to what he was doing and just watching just him play music and sometimes he'll just be like sitting down playing the guitar and stuff like that would be like writing songs so that would be like my first introduction in in music and obviously like having MTV in your house um in in the late 80s early 90s and stuff like that and I was always like fascinated by like early hip-hop because their music videos was like really strange compared to like other stuff, you know what I mean? But I was I was just like any other regular kids watching Top of the Pops every every Friday night. That would be like a like a family thing. And I was always like interested in who got to number one, who got to number 10. So that was like my my first memories of getting into music. But in terms of electronic music and kind of what led me into Pirate Radio was um my sister, like my my I've got three sisters. So my middle sister, she used to listen to like a lot of pirate radio stations. Um, you know, she always used to have like posters of like, you know, Kiss FM on the one. And this is, I didn't even realize this, uh, realize this until afterwards, but it was like Kiss when it was a pirate. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, she, she used to listen to like um, a lot of like rave music, you know, hardcore, all that kind of stuff. But I would say when it hit 93, 94, and I was still very young, I was like seven years old. And I used to get in my dad's car and I always used to just fiddle with his stereo. My dad would be like, don't touch that and all that kind of business. He just didn't want me touching anything, but I never used to listen to him because I just wanted to just fiddle around. And that's where I kind of like first discovered, you know, the radio and stuff like that. But he had like a tuner in his house and he had an aerial. So he, he took his setup quite seriously, but he didn't care for the music that I was interested in. But that's where I started to first discover um, you know, majority of pirate stations like Cool FM, remember Weekend Rush, um, Flex FM, definitely Don FM. They were like the, the first stations that I could remember listening to. And from what, once I heard the music, it, it fucking frightened the shit out of me. But I was just, I was just very intrigued because I used to hear, you know, jungle music and they used to have like a lot of like rare groove samples. And then I was like, wow, and it used to fascinate me. I was like, how do they do that? How are they getting that old song into this mad thing what I'm hearing? And yeah, that was like the intro for me. Yeah, you always get them little drops of like an Isley Brothers track just dropped into a jungle tune somewhere. Yeah, and yeah all them ones there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can relate. Obviously, like I've, I've told the story a few times on the pod, but my dad was a DJ. So a similar sort of thing is is every weekend he's out record shopping, he'd take me with him or, you know, he'd come in from this club and he's got this new record or someone's give him this. And yeah, it's, it's one of the reasons I've had some, some of the guests that I've had on the podcast is because of people who have been friends with him over the years. But yeah, man, I totally relate. So, um, Obviously, you touched on it there. 
Don FM, Flex FM, a few of the South London stations, Southwest London stations. Um, what was the, you know, the transition into DJing and getting onto your, you know, your early radio shows for, like, like for you, you know, did you, you know, did you get on radio fairly quickly when you started DJing or did it take you a little bit of time? Well, the best, the best way that I can put it, because obviously like jungle music was, you know, I've, I just remember it so clearly um, in 1994 and jungle music was everywhere, man. It was, it was absolutely everywhere. And I remember that as a child, as an eight year old child. And I remember the, uh, the summer that year and my mum, like, she was a nurse, so she had to like work shifts. My dad used to like hustle, um, do like mini cabin and stuff like that. And a lot of my family lived in Labbert Grove. So I would go around to their house and I've got like a huge family. So they used to have like um, like summer programs, like adventure playground, all this kind of stuff. So I would go to like these adventure playgrounds and like the youth workers that at that time would just be blasting that jungle music all day long. But I remember watching like a good few documentaries. Like my dad always used to let me stay up and watch documentaries, which has impacted my life, you know, further on down the line, which we'll get into later. But you know, I watched a few documentaries and it just fascinated me just seeing a DJ with two turntables. And I was like, why have they got two turntables? Like, what is this like kind of thing? And I knew there was like hip hop DJs that used to scratch, but this wasn't scratching. This was like DJs that were mixing, but I I, I was still trying to work it out. But I used to get, um, go to the market and, you know, like buy compilations like Jungle Hits Volume 1 and all this kind of stuff. But um, it wasn't until the transition really was when um, the gap, like basically, the, I, I believe that the, the the face of Pirate Radio slowly started to change. When it hit around 95, 96, you had stations that came about like Girls FM, Freak FM, um, eventually London Underground, eventually uh, Ice FM as well, if I didn't mention that. Um, I even remember a station called Green Apple as well. They, they were like just on all the time, but those particular stations, like I, I love soulful music. I'm a soulful person. So I love like melody and music with feeling and stuff. And that's why I love jungle because the music was like really innovative and stuff like that. But, you know, house and garage was like completely different, but it still gave me that feeling. And then obviously as it hit towards 96, 97, I noticed garage music started to be the big thing. So when I started secondary school, I went to a school called Cardinal Hinsley High School, which is in Harleston. I don't know if you know who Bashi is, AKA Ashley yeah. Thomas. So he was in the year above me, um, uh, like Rugrat for Musical Mob, um, DJ Remedy, who I'm gonna mention later on down the line, who I started radio with and stuff like that. We all went to the same school. So being in that school, it was always the cool thing to, to go into school and someone will come in with their tape. Oh, what station did you take that night? Was it Lash FM? Was it this station and that? And that kind of energy kind of like pulled me in. It was almost like I felt like, you know what? Okay, I might not be a dancer. I might not be a singer or anything like that, but I think I'm swaying onto being a DJ. And I started buying records like very early on, early on in like the markets and stuff. And yeah, that was like my first entry into being a DJ. But the thing is I used to buy records and I did not have no turntables for like the first four or five years. It took a long time for me to, cause I started so young. I was, I was like 11, 12 years old when I started buying records and stuff like that. But it wasn't until I was 16 that my mom actually bought me a set of 1210s. But before that I had to save up my money. And I, do you remember um, a store called Tandy back in the day? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tandy, yeah. So I went in there, I had a little bit of money saved. I had a belt drive turntable. 
and some old school sound, sound lab um, mixer. And I had one deck and I was mixing into tape. And that was like my way had, how I had to learn how to mix. So hard times, man. That's what I'm saying. Kids have got it different now. It's all different, but we had it different then, man. Yeah, but you, you seem to, you know, you jumped in at the deep end and you managed to jump on 1210s first of all. Bruv, how different is it? Do you remember? Because I remember this. When I first started mixing, I had um, a pair of Newmark CD decks and my boy had a pair of... Um, Excel 100s or 200s, the yeah, 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 and yeah. They, the yeah. belt driven, belt driven, yeah. Belt and I remember, that's something else. <laughs> I remember his brother, um, came around with a pair of 1210s because his brother used to play on flight and he they'd always like get different decks coming through and they had a couple of backup pairs or whatever. And he just happened to have them in the yard that weekend. And um, my mate's older brother, he come around, he put these decks in the bedroom, he's like, to get rid of that, shit. he's like, try these out. Bruv, the yeah. difference the first time you use oh, a 12 the difference, bruv. <laughs> Listen, I, do you know what? Oh, you just brought it back for me. I just remember that transition because um, there was a few men around the manor that had 1210s. Put it this way, like, obviously, we was youngins and there was, like, olders in the area. And if we used to go around to someone's yard and they had 1210s, the way how we used to look up to these people, it was yeah. it was a big deal. And I remember the very first time when I even tried attempting to make some 1210s, I, probably there and then at that point, I was like, I thought I'd just got it, but I've obviously got to start all over again. But that determination that you have within you to like kind of master the art form of mixing, I suppose, like it stays within you because everyone's like kind of competed and, you know, cause they, it wasn't just me. Like there was a lot of people in my area that wanted to be a DJ. Like it, a lot of people say, oh, loads of people's trying to be a DJ now, but I kind of feel it was, it was the same back then. Yeah. It was like loads of people wanted to be a DJ or an MC back then. So, so yeah, man, it was really exciting being around that as, as a young kid. Do you ever still run into them dickheads from the ends and go, how's oh, your little DJ and things? Still yeah. Playing? Oh yeah. I still get it now, <laughs> mate. I still, I still get it now. 15, 20 years later. No doubt. <laughs> I hate yeah. that shit. It was people I went to school with that would always like beg off the pure garage CDs. Everyone loved it. And it was all like the, the big hype. It was the big hype for us. We were like 13, 14. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. When I started doing it, a couple of them used to like maybe come up radio with me and everything else, like maybe like on a late night one and a sneaky one, like a few drinks and whatever. And then like years and years later, they'd all be like going off and like some of them like settled down quite early in their early twenties and a couple of them popped out a few kids at 21, 22, 23. And every time I'd see them, like I'd be in the pub at like maybe Christmas or something, a few local bods would walk in. They'd be like, oh, still doing your little DJ thing. I was like, bro, I played at Pasha last week. What are you fucking doing <laughs> yeah, your yeah, life? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it kind of shows what, like, what, what do they know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't really know what's going on. They think they know, but they don't. Yeah, really? your, your, your little DJ thing that, that always yeah. does me. I know every yeah. single DJ listening right now will know them people from yeah, the ends that they went to school with and be like, Oh, yeah, still doing your little music thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. some of them say it in like a nice tone, but you know what they yeah, really it's, mean. Yeah, it's the yeah, this, there's like a geography feeling underneath, like a kind of a whether like even a jealousy you could even say because it's like yeah. they haven't really got something going on in their life, but that's life, isn't it? Like there's always positive people and negative people, so. Yeah, man, yeah, 100%. Man. So, um, yeah, you got onto 1210s, um, picked up mixing. I'm assuming I'm assuming it didn't take you too long, given that you'd already been feeling around. Nah, not too long. Do you know who I've got a big up? I, um, so, it's the thing is, he changed his name and I bumped into him. This is really bad. Um, right, I've got to think about this. I've really got to think about this. So, yes, that's it. So, a DJ called DJ Flirter um, played on Freeze FM. Oh, you're talking, at, about, you're talking about Alan? Alan, that's right, yeah, yeah, Alan yeah. Moomin, right. So he, uh, he, yeah. so he's from Peabody Estate, and yeah. I'm just literally around the corner from him. So he was like one of the dons in the area that he's had like a, a set that, of 1210s. 
Listen, Flirter is a fucking DJ. Bad boy DJ. Proper. Bad boy DJ. And I, honest to God, I bumped into him around March because uh, he was working. I bumped into him and I was like, yo, what's going on? And I always say to him, because obviously over the years, like I went on to like be a part of like some really like influential things. But I, 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 I've never forgotten where I come from. And he always like used to let me run to his house and mix or sit there smoking fucking weed all day long, all that kind of stuff. And just... He would just let me go through his record collection and just mix. And I remember that. But one of the main guys who I would say who I kind of stuck around and where I kind of learned my trade with as a, as a DJ and producer is um, someone called Silky, who lived one road parallel to me. So I lived on one end here and he lived on the other end. And um, me and him were both, both the same age, both in the same school year, but he went to another school. And his brother used to play on Ice FM. He used, to, he used to be an MC on Ice FM. He's called Silver B. Um, and basically, you know, we kind of realized like we kind of liked the same thing and stuff. So obviously he had like a set of like, I think he had like a pair of new marks first, but then eventually he got a set of 1200s. So he got his 1200s, then I got my 1210s. And, like we were just literally all we would do is just mix like at, at any stage or, or if it wasn't that we'll listen to the radio or if it wasn't that we'll go to like under 18s or sometimes a big people's dance and get in the dance like when we shouldn't have been able to get in there and then we eventually like kind of started um like doing house parties like around the manor and stuff like that but at this point in time I probably like played on radio like once but it was a disaster and I don't even want to get into that so uh, we just considered ourselves as like local DJs but I think where things really started to progress onwards was when we used to travel down to central London and we used to go to black market records so and I remember it clearly like um when we started to go together that was when Sarah Lockhart aka Sarah Soldier who obviously um started um ammunition started the labels temper soldier um all those labels and then she eventually went on to work with genius yep. and went on to 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 work with um genius at rinse but she used to work at black market records and me and silky had like a kind of a advanced ear so we was garage djs like you know that that was our trade because th that's the thing like jungle music i wanted to be a part of jungle i was way too young for that and garage music had kind of taken over so we we was garage djs at the time but when we started djing like um as like friends in our bedrooms and stuff like that we noticed like that the sound was changing and it was developing it was like going somewhere else and it was becoming like some people would say like mc based which is definitely true but we always had like aspirations to be producers. So we would listen, we would be like listening to like Flex FM at the time. I remember it clearly like on 103.6 or, you know, Rinse FM at the time, they like completely changed from how they were like a few years beforehand because they were playing like drum and bass. And the next thing you've got is like pay as you go and we used to tune into Slimzy. Slimzy's like playing like these really interesting beats, just thinking, rah, what's going on here? So Sarah um, Soldier, she used to be at the shop. And we used to go into the shop and we'll be like, rah, we want what he just got underneath the counter. And she just used to look at us like we was a fucking joke because we could just barely see over the counter and shit like that. But um, we was eager and we was consistent and we was going there quite often. And then quite soon afterwards, Martin Lana started working at the, at the store as well. And he was like one of the first like figureheads in the scene that kind of helped me and, you know, used to give me like white labels and stuff like that. So that kind of gave us like a bit of an energy. And quite soon afterwards, 
probably yeah the the main station that I first first got on where I, I kind of made a little bit of a name for myself. So Silky used to play on a pirate called Juice FM one or two point five, but it's weird because they weren't a garage station. It was like it was an R and B and and dancehall and reggae station, but they had like one slot on a Saturday where they had it for a grime crew. And when I say grime, this is like foundational grime. In fact, it wasn't even called grime. It was like yep. grimy beats or grimy garage with MCs on top of it. You know what I mean? Um, this was around 2001. But the following year in 2002, um, a good friend of mine, um, DJ Remedaplate D, he was handed Lush FM. So the guys that had it before, they passed it on to him. He was like two years above me. And he was like the superstar in school. And I always said to him, bruv, I'm going to get on Lush. I'm going to get on Lush. And he just used to laugh at me. And then one thing led on to another. And I met a guy called DJ Dynamic, went on there, done a guest show with him. And my life literally changed that day. So Lush was, that was still like 107.3 back then? Over... No, it, the, the original frequency was 107.4. Yep. And then, yeah, I think, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was 2000. It was in 2000. I, I could be wrong, but it was in 2000 when it changed to 107.6. 107.6, yeah. Yeah, 107.6. And, and, and it became, because it's weird, because I'm, I'm from Hammersmith and I grew up on like, like ISFM, like the two big stations in the area, like pre-99 was ISFM and FlexFM. They were like, they were the stations that just used to always be on. You had other stations like MacFM and, you know, London Underground was still around and whatnot. But a lot of the stations like hadn't kind of moved on with the times. They were like kind of playing the same old thing, which I love. But because obviously I was young and, you know, trying to have your ear to the ground and all that. Um, I mean, even Delight FM, when Delight FM started in 1999, that was a revelation, man. That was some new shit. You know what I mean? They just yeah. did things different. Um, and that changed the game. And I I really wanted to be, you know, a part of that. But taking that kind of energy and kind of putting that into what I was doing as a DJ on, on, on Lush, really. Yeah, man. Yeah, I hear that. It's um yeah, that, that particular area, obviously Hammersmith, it ain't it's like a stone's throw from Southfields, really, and it? it's literally yeah, it's not too far. So yeah. yeah, so Flex is obviously gonna be a mainstay around the south, southwest London area. And Ice, you're right though, because it's like when I was talking to Ricky on the podcast, like Ice did move with the times because it had that, although obviously, you know, it it, it faded away towards you know 2002, 2003. Three, um, yeah, yeah. Like they still moved with like, you know, their pay as you go on there. There are various other artists that were playing the darker stuff as Garage evolved. Um, and Flex was obviously kind of multi-genre anyway. Um, always had different people on there. But again, you know, with the likes of um of Decline on there and stuff, obviously, like they were gonna be playing the darker stuff as well, you know, and the breaky stuff and everything. Yeah. Else. Um, there was a lot of that garage that was so influential to obviously what you did later but just in terms of uk music in general i mean you listen to something like you go back and listen to like tracks like cape fear like look oh. out, look look how you know old I'm, I'm, listen i'm clapping my hands bruv i i sorry to cut you but i honestly do believe that that track doesn't get enough credit for how it actually made producers and and ravers and djs think differently because I'm I'm actually I'm quite um you know close with madness we, we speak a lot you know um these days I didn't know him from back in the day but obviously that's through the the flex fm connection and I, I, he's he's a hero of mine because I used to listen to him on free and I was mistaken because I thought that obviously I bought that around 96 97 still got my white label of that today he was like nah bruv I, I wrote that in 94 I was like 
what? It's crazy, isn't it? That I was like, that's way ahead of its time. But obviously, he had it on Dudley, and just the 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 the, the kind of the the jungle kind of breakbeaty kind of influence on like a garage tempo, but it's the bass, like it's like just that driving bass, and that for me. Uh, mate, yeah, that, that record is very, very, very influential. You yeah. you could drop that now on the right sound system and it will fuck shit up. You know yeah, what I mean? There's there's another track as well, and I've got a big up uh I've got a big up Mr. E on this because he's one of the very few DJs that I've heard play it, but Dangerous Minds, the lick. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Oh that's yeah. An, um Dangerous Minds. What that label is, did I come um, on? Uh, uh is it Urban Hype? I can't remember the name of the label now. It's one of them yeah, labels you recognise yeah. if you saw it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mr. E's probably sitting there listening to this podcast. I go, no, it's this label you fucking put. <laughs> um, but I remember I was I was playing at um I was playing at Black Club one night. I think it was High Practice's birthday. Raw Black and... Club, you know. <laughs> Shit, you're taking I dropped, it back. Um, Local I, dropped, ones. I dropped Dangerous Minds, the lick, and I was back to back of Amen, and I dropped it, and it like literally before it drops, it goes, "Hear me out, you hear the secret," and it just goes, bum, yeah, bum, bum, the bass, bum. yeah. As it come through, CKP just walked across the room, jumped up behind the decks, just pulled the tune up. He was like, "Fuck <laughs> off," and just walks off. That tune, yeah. but them tunes there, like. Obviously, you know, Dilemma was fairly early on in that as well, 99 sort of thing. And some of the Groove Chronicle stuff, the Ghost stuff, Harry Lyme stuff was coming out then. Like, so influential, you know, when you look at what's come since. Even even people forget how early Narrows stuff was. Do you know what I mean? That was oh, yeah. Na- Narrows, Narrows was um 2001. I remember it very clearly. And I remember Slimzy and EZ, they were like the first. When I heard, what was it, Save Soul? Yeah. That was, that was, I mean, obviously, like I've always said to people, like there's, you know, particular songs that are very iconic. And because I was there and I was going to the record shops and listening to the DJs, you know, played, obviously, of course, there was tracks in between, but the ones that had that heavy impact, I mean, Dilemma was one of them, no doubt. And then Musical Mob, Pulsex. And then, you know, in that same year as well, there was a, there was um Safe Soul by Narrows. And I remember... Like that when the narrows thing came about, it was like it was dark. But then people just wanted to make four four all the time. Everything like went four four. It, it was mad. But it, you know, it, I miss those days because it was so experimental. Yeah. You know, I was I only just got into production then. I started producing in two thousand and one, but I hadn't really learnt my trade then. And that was the same for Silky. We both started in two thousand and one, but we was DJs, and it was it was just a really exciting time because. You just knew that when you listen to the rage and you listen to your favorite DJ, you just knew that you was just gonna hear some new shit that was just gonna blow you away, you know? Yeah, and it was it was getting it was getting pushed as well. And as I say, there's a lot of if you go back to them early grime sets, them early pay as you go and uh the early very early roll deep stuff where Dizzy got involved, all of them sets. A lot of them, you've got like your Eskimo tracks on there and things like that, which are obviously big, but it's getting played alongside Narrows. It's getting played alongside... Yeah, they all got used... Yeah, they all um, used to get played together. You know even, what I mean? Even um, like Youngstar. Youngstar, before he was doing all of the other productions, like, it, it was it True VIP? That was one of his. That was out from like 2000. Um, you know what? Yeah, because people get confused. There's three youngsters. There's three youngsters, and I know all three of them. So you've got you've got Sarah Lockhart's brother, who's yeah. DJ Youngstar. He was the last one to come through, but then he's he's like a super pioneer of dubstep music. Yeah. You've got a uh, Youngstar, um, Musical Mob, uh, and then you've got 
young you got the other youngster who who done true vip oh okay yeah okay. so there's they're, they're three different guys and i know all three of them <laughs> either, either way that true vip record was from early doors and that's Outsta- another one. outstanding yep. outstanding uh, record brothers-in-law underground all of them records yeah. there for yes. me that album what was the one that he's done the the bass breaks and beats yes that, yes that was a game-changing album you know a lot of people don't realize that you know what it's, i'm so happy you, you're mentioning this because a lot of people do you know put me in the early bracket of dubstep which i know we're going to talk about a little bit later but it's like for what dubstep was known for even even in its early days like the kind of the 2003 four, five period like digital mystics and loaf and, and you know dj youngston hatcher and scream and bengar but listen do you know what swung me into that into that era it was it was the breakbeat stuff it was that zinc stuff like stanton stanton warriors like and i've got those records like literally behind me now and i and i listen to them records and i'm just like do you know what this still sounds fresh still to this day you know those producers were so creative and they were ahead of their time and you take that era away i i really don't know where like underground music obviously which is transcended into to, to the the overground in some ways but you take that out and i really don't know where music would be today um, when you look at the progression i saw i saw a video the other day i, I recently signed up to, to uh i had a, i got a tiktok account and um there was a video on there of uncle doug's talking about this sort of stuff just a, just a clip from it's from one of these rinse documentaries or a youtube video somewhere yeah um, yeah and he was talking about the mcs and stuff and the grime music and everything else and what rinse achieved in the early days and it was just a, it's just a minute long snippet but he's literally saying exactly what i've been saying on the podcast since the first episode if you didn't have the pirate radio stations and the underground garage music in the late nineties, early two thousand. Stormzy doesn't headline Glastonbury. Hundred percent. Simple as that. Millie, I say this all the time, and you see the thing is like, I've moved out to Maidenhead now. I I, I moved to Windsor in um two thousand and eight, and then now I've been in Maidenhead for the last five years. And like, I mean, it's catching up now because obviously the internet is like quite you know dominant. You know, I mean, everyone's got like their phone and all that kind of stuff, like easy access and YouTube and Spotify and whatever. But it's like around here, I've, I've like classed it like it's a half and half area where you've got people that understand the underground and they don't understand the underground. And the ones that don't understand the underground, nine times out of 10 will love Stormzy because Stormzy is the headliner at Glastonbury. Stormzy is the one who's like, you know, transcending the culture from before into pop culture. But when you try and explain to them, this is where it's come from. They look at you like you're an alien. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's hilarious. You know, do you want to hear, I, do you wanna hear I something? I don't want to be that annoying guy. Do you know what I mean? Do you want to hear something? Not many people know about me. A few people know, but not many know, right? So mm. you, met, you mentioned Maidenhead. Do you know a place called Knoll Hill? Nah. It's in between. It's on the way to Twyford. Do you know where Twyford is? Okay, Twyford's just down the road from here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So for one year during year nine, I actually lived in Knoll Hill, which is on that A4 road straight down to, to Twyford. Um, okay. And yeah, going to school in bloody hell, what would year nine have been? 2002, 2003. So around them them times, um, the majority of kids in that school, apart from the ones that lived on the estate where I lived, the majority of kids in that school, it was Blink-182, Slipknot. It was that kind of music. None of them knew. Do you know what I mean? So I'd be sitting in my house listening to 875, which is like Trilogy, like them stations from... That was, a clo- that was the closest thing in that area. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's so right. I, I'd be sitting there listening to that. And some of these people that I was friends with from school, and don't get me wrong, I love rock music. I love metal music. I love a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, and yeah, they'd, yeah. they'd come around and they'd be like, what the fuck are you listening to? And it was like <laughs> Breaky Garage and Jungle and that. Yeah. Like, 
what is this? I yeah, have yeah, no yeah. idea. So yeah, no, I get it. I do get it. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a weird little spot in the world. Some of these uh, home counties places, man. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But then, then again, do you know what? Um, one of the first gigs that I actually did again when we used to do like house parties, quickly going back. One of the first gigs I did was actually in Maidenhead twenty years ago, and I can't remember what the club was called, but it was a really well known club. And I think even I could be mistaken here, but um, so solid played there in the same year and something kicked off and then the club eventually got licked down. Maidenhead and Windsor was a vibe like yeah. tw uh, 20 years ago. But even by the time I moved up here, yeah, there was a few clubs open and stuff like that, but they 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 weren't on it. They they didn't they didn't care about dubstep, they didn't care about Graham. I think if anything, funky was more accepted yeah. around here and and like, you know, different forms of like house music and stuff like that. But but it was almost like Maidenhead was ahead of its time. And and the olders always used to tell me back in the day, like in the, you know, the rave days, the acid house days and all of that, this was actually one of the best spots to come to, especially for like warehouse like kind of uh, yeah. events and stuff like that i always get told about stories like that so yeah, driving distance from london but far enough away to not be causing too much of a problem e exactly that and that is definitely <laughs> true 100 yeah, but i've got to say I, you know i came back um i did one year out there and i my, my family moved back to um it wasn't quite into london but we moved to sunbury for a bit um i lived in sunbury from year 10 onwards and i was so happy to be back amongst humanity so <laughs> <laughs> i timed that perfectly for when you were drinking yeah. as well <laughs> classic classic um, so yeah, obviously, you know, we spoke there about the records and everything else. What was the first station? Obviously, you got onto Lush. Um, was that the first station you were on for a long time? No, it wasn't. You know what? A lot of people don't know this, yeah, but I actually played on Freeze FM 90.4, near enough when it first started as a guest, wow. and, I, and I wasn't even allowed on there. And I somehow managed to get on there. So that was that. But that was a, that was a disaster. So I don't even want to... Um, concentrate on that um hardly anyone knows that but um yeah the first major station that i played on was on was on lush fm 107.6 and i went and went on there as a guest and then when remedy so this is where like the story kind of like tra transcends transcends onto um when when remedy realized that i played on the station it was like it was like a proud moment for him because he was like okay you're here and then there was this DJ called Dynamic. I mean, I've lost contact with him, but I, I feel like I owe this guy so much. You know, I met him in Black Market Records. You know, we got talking, we was into the same music. He took me on his show. And I just remember the phone line was just, it was, they were transmitting from Hendon. So they was on a hill at the time. So I don't know if you know those blocks in Hendon. Maybe, and yeah. yeah, it's like, they're only, they're only like, I don't know, like maybe, 15 maybe 17 floors 16 floors I'm not too sure but it's not the biggest blocks but it's on a it's on a proper hill yeah. and and that shit was london wide and i remember asking because this is when i started to ask questions and i was like right like what, what what power are you using and all that kind of stuff and you tell me ah oh, only 150 watts and all that kind of stuff but we was getting calls from like um like we was in Hendon at the time transmitting, but we was getting calls from like Southeast London, far out West London. We was getting calls from like Maidenhead and Windsor. I'd never heard of these ends like before, you know, that was like when I first started to understand like the surrounding counties, you know what I mean? It's like when you say, okay, surrounding counties, we really was getting out to those, those ends. But basically I had um, that guest show and then Dynamic, he couldn't do the show no more for whatever reason it was. So he was like, 
do you want to take over the show? And I was like, what? Like you, a Friday night, eight or 10 on Lush FM before Musical Mob. And it, it was such a great time to be on there because I have to say, Freeze FM was just coming coming, coming uh, up the ranks as well. They were broadcasting. I think they had just moved over to 927 at the time. And at the time they were transmitting in Norfolk. They, obviously their studio was in Harrow. But Lush was on, and Lush at that time had some people like the Nasty Crew. Remedy had like Nasty Crew on there. He had Johnny Cash on there. He had Musical Mob on there. And this is what I'm saying: it's like East London kind of gets bigged up for like the the, the foundations of of grime. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. You know what Rinse FM did, you know, and and what Deja Vu did, hundred percent. But Freeze FM and Lush FM, and you could even include include Delight FM into that. Those stations were super, super important to as to like the progression, what went on to, you know, the scene split. So it's like Garage was obviously going in a completely different direction. It it kind of overpeaked in the charts. You know, you had, you know, Sunship with Flowers and, you know, Art for Dodger with, with Rewinds. You had, uh, uh, you know, even Sparks and Kai. Not a lot of people remember it, but I remember it. But that, that you know, Flyby, that, that got signed to East West. Yeah. You know what I mean? It got into, I think it was, it made the top 40 or just outside the top 40. You know, Oxide Neutrino, they got to deal with East West. They, they were the first ones to get a number one. I remember all of that. So Solid Crew getting their deal with, with, um, uh, relentless records and oh no coming out so like do, do that, you really like it was number one for yeah do, yeah well. 2001 do you really like it so there was all of that kind of stuff but the thing is as you know the pirate stations you had the guys that would go in there and play your flowers and all of that but then other djs was going there and it was just straight underground you know what i'm saying but then the you thing just, was a lot of pirate djs were playing them tunes a year before they went to number one yeah, 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 I remember. yeah, exactly. They would have it, and the thing is, before they got signed to like the big label, it would be like on a on an earlier label or on a white label or Tespress or something like that. But you know, seeing seeing that, I just knew that the music was going in a different direction. You had like magazines like RWD magazine that were like very quick to like jump on the ball and be like, "Oh, this is this is um grime music." Oh, you know, XLR8 are saying, oh, this is dubstep music. Cause you know, you had places like Forward, which was I, I went to the very first Forward in Velvet Rooms, and I knew this was like something special, but it was only until when it moved to, to Curtain Roads. Yeah. That was the game changer because I, I was enjoying what was going on, on on the radio at the time, but I wasn't really experiencing this like kind of new sound in a club and forward just became my church. That was my my church, my university, my school, like my everything. And it was it was really good that eventually when Rince was like associated, because a lot of their DJs was like playing up forwards and stuff like that. And then I kind of started to focus on that. And I was like, right, I want to get on there as a DJ one day. But at the same time, I wanted to run my own station because when I was playing a Lush, that kind of blew up but then the rigs was always getting taken it was all like always off and i you know was, I kept was on... part of that to do with it being 1076 and jackie being not that far away Nah, it was rig thieves at the time and because oh, really? this is this is again this is where i started to learn my trade and started to understand like how pirate stations worked because i remember i would like you know go to the record shop get my records um and then look forward to doing my show 
And obviously those days, stations weren't really 24 hours. Like there was only a few stations that were 24 hours. There'll be seven days, but they would always like switch on at like four o'clock. So sometimes I'll get into like, you know, my brethren's car will be in, you know, in my house, waiting for that rig to turn on. Four o'clock, not on. Five o'clock, not on. Six o'clock. Yo, Ramo, are we on today? Someone's taking my rig, brother. And it was just the same old fucking story for like, for ages. So I kind of got, tired of that and eventually we, going back to a conversation we've all had to have yeah. in the last week we probably know that was as well <laughs> yeah yeah exactly do you know what i mean so so yeah i, I kind of got tired of that and i just remember saying to myself do you know what i'm gonna start my own station and and the same time i was saying this i actually was working at a record shop called release the groove which yep. was in denman street um people mainly know me for working at Uptown. That's why I worked at Uptown during the glory years of like the early days of grime. But I actually started at Release the Groove. So I used to work with a guy called DJ Chippy, um, DeAndre and Crafty. Chippy ended up on Passion. Uh, Crafty and DeAndre, they were working, they were playing on Taste FM 925. So, you know, they used to tell me about what they was doing and stuff like that. So I was surrounded by a lot of people that was playing on stations. And I was just like the little kids, 16 year old, just saying, yeah, I'm going to start my own station. I, I literally said, I'm going to start my own station before I even knew what to do. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? But I had a drive and a, like a, a hunger in me and I was just determined to do it. And because there was like a lot of peaks and then all of a sudden it was going down, I feel like that's what kind of drove me to, to eventually getting involved with actually engineering and, and setting up. So let's talk about the birth of Reactive M. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so if we're talking about Reactor Femme, it wasn't actually me who started Reactor Femme. It was DJ Remedy. So I'll give you the story. So Lush FM came to an end and he, as I was just explaining to you, his rigs was going missing. And I'll cut the story down. So when he, he uh, me and Remedy like kept in touch with each other. We was, I was always saying, what's your plans? Like, you looking to start a station? And he was like, oh, I don't know, and all this. And then hadn't spoke to him for about two months. I got onto another station called Pure FM 94.0 when I was 16. And it was because I was uh, working at Release the Groove, a guy called yeah. Chippy, who I just mentioned. And he eventually got me a show in there. And then them guys actually, I remember like going to their studio and the link box was right there. And it was the first time that I'd seen like, like the RDS and it had the screen with the arrows and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I was fascinated by that shit. So I was like, rah, is that like that, that the RDS and that? And they were like, yeah, I was like, what, can you just change it and that? They were like, no, 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 don't touch it and all that stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I won't touch it, but I'm just intrigued. And I was like, so rah, like, so what? Like, where's your horn? And I, I just used to be that guy to ask loads of questions. So they they um taught me a lot. And I'm going to mention them a little bit later then, boys. Um, I don't know if you, you know, GTE and DJ Pyro, you mentioned them on yeah, one yeah, of your I've, early I've known, podcasts. I, I, yeah, I, don't know, I don't know GTE too well. I've met him a few times, but I've known Pyro for a very yeah, long time. Yeah, Pyro, listen, I've got so much respect for them. Them man, they are like pirate radio dons. And I was a young kid and, and they they embraced me. And yeah, man, I got a lot of love and time for them. But Pure FM started to have problems of their own. And when Pure FM went off, that's that's when I was like, right, I, I've got to do something. So I, I got some guys together um, and I was going to start a station called Skank FM. It was a fucking disaster. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, this I can remember the conversation vividly. And I remember I was in a record shop. And I was talking to one of my friends, Scientist, who was a Rinse FM DJ, one of my best friends as well. 
And he's a, like a, he wasn't like a, a, a pirate radio engineer, but he had all the knowledge. Like he, he just, he just knew stuff. So he, he wasn't like, he knew Slimzy really well and he knew Genius really well. He eventually got into Rinse, but he used to play on like Pure Magic back in the day. I think at the time he was playing on Sub Jam FM, one of 4.7, but he wasn't like, he never had a station of his own, but he knew so much. So he was like telling me all this stuff and, I was saying to him, bro, like, you know what? There's a frequency, you know, and I think there's no one there. I think I might jump on 99.1, you know? And then I just remember him saying, don't think that's a bad shout, you know? So I've rung up Remedy and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start a station. And I think I'd hooked up like a rig engineer or something like that. And then I hadn't made, yeah, I can't remember, but I hadn't made the call. But all I remember is, is I said to Remedy, I said, yeah, I'm going to go on 99.1. He goes, no, you're not. He said, I'm going on 991. I said, what, yeah? And I didn't even challenge it because obviously he's like the king to me. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? He's a, he's a older to me. And I was like, what? So what's, what's the station called? And he's like, React. So that's where React was born. And the reason why he called it React is because he was just basically reacting to the people that was just giving him a hard time um, for doing Lush. And the thing is, you know, I really need to big up this guy, Remedy. He's so important to the West London, Northwest London, like pirate radio scene. He helped a lot of stations and he helped a lot of people with their careers, mine included. Um, and he just wanted to see people do well. So that's where React FM was born. But it was weird. I was going to be a DJ on React regardless. I, I was going to be a DJ on the station. But my focus was on Skank FM. And I got together with some of these guys. We got the station on. It came on. We was on for like a, uh, like a week. And well, actually, before that, we we actually had a studio in a fucking lift shaft, bruv. Like quite similar to like um, Outlaw Story, yeah. and we're all like having to like whisper down the mic and all. It, it was, bruv. It was so fucking bait in this estate called Field Road in Hammersmith. And I remember like we didn't know what we was doing. We wasn't cutting our aerials or nothing like that. Just sticking it out at the top. The aerials meant to be facing like that, and it's pointing up here. And we're only like three stories up, and we're trying to get like reception reports from like. Someone saying, yeah, I think I can get it in Kilburn and stuff. And and there's another massive block right in front of me just thinking, fucking hell, like, how, how are we going to get it up there? But eventually, eventually, with the help of some other boys in the area, we got it up um, Kamatli Estate, which is the old blocks where Ricky D came from. Yeah. So we transmitted on there. But again, there was no safety to our rigs, nothing like that. And eventually, obviously, someone's coming seen a free rig go, oh, 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 that's mine, Shh, off. So that was the first bit of pain. So I remember Remedy calling me up saying, Ra, what happened to you? And I was like, yeah, someone's licked the rig. But we kind of got close with an engineer. We did a little job for him. And he was like, look, I can get you a rig, but it's on 95.6. And I was like, mate, that's next to Capital. Like, and I was like really early on into radio, but I knew that was a bad move. <laughs> Anyways, we got that on and I, we had that on for a little while and then that one got took. And then I just got tired and I was just like, do you know what? This is long. I, I wasn't saying it was long. I wanted to get it on, but it was just like, there was just headache and stuff like that. But React FM had came on. It test transmitted in August 2003 and I'll never forget it. And the RDS, it said reaction. And the and Remedy had his mixtape playing. He had one of his mixtapes playing. So I remember ringing him and I was like, Ra, where are you coming from? And I could just, I could just see the smile on his face down the phone. I can remember the conversation vividly. And he was like, you never guess where I've got the rig. And I was like, where, man? Tell me, man. And I said, I know it's around here. And how I knew, this is how I started to learn certain things. I pulled the aerial 
out of my um out of my stereo and I could still get it. So yeah. I was like, mate, this is on my doorstep. Where is it? And he and he was like, it's Edward Woods. Again, another block that ISFM used to use. So he was up there. And eventually, would you believe this? This is a true, true story. So Ricky D, I think he mentioned um, his studios being in the Shepherd's Bush blocks. The same studio, the same guy, I won't mention his name, Reactor Femmes, one of the second studio for Reactor Femme was in that studio, in the old ISFM studio. And I'd played on there the first time in, I think it was September, October 2003. And it was fucking brilliant, man. But Layla FM, 106.9 at the time, was just transmitting literally not even a quarter of a, a, quarter of a mile down the road. Yeah. So it, it was weird because like those two stations in West, if we're going to talk about West London, Layla FM and Reactor FM, they, they literally came on at the same time. And you could tell like there was a bit of early competition like developing because you had like early grime crews going on React and early grime crews going on Lalo. But then it's funny anyways, cause um, you know, I'm working on, on a film, which probably Dan mentioned to you, Outlaw mentioned, and, and, and I interviewed um, I. So we're, we're, we're cool now and we've got a lot of respect for each other, but there was like some early beef between Remedy and React and like they were taking like air, like Remedy will go and set up next to them and then they'll go and take the aerial down. So there was all, yeah, there was all like mad shit going on. And I was just interested in that. And then slowly but surely, Remedy was so basically it was Remedy, but another guy called DJ Dodger who started React. Dodger was the one putting the money in. Now, DJ Dodger is a former ISFM DJ. So he was like one of the big DJs on ISFM. He used to play like with DJ Bigatron, but obviously ISFM had uh, ended earlier that year. And I think they hadn't even played on there for years anyways, but it was DJ Remedy and DJ Dodger. And cause I started hanging around with Remedy and I was always calling them. I started moving with them all the time. And I just remember one time I was at the studio and it was like two o'clock in the morning. And he just kept looking at me and he was like, yeah, do you want to go and turn off the rig? And my heart started literally beating, just thinking, oh, I want to do this. This is what I'm here for, but I've just smoked a big spliff. Like, allow it, man. This is long. I don't want to go up a are fucking they, block at two o'clock blocks, in the morning. Them blocks are massive as well. <laughs> well, actually, do you know where it was transmitting from on that day? It was actually right next to Lalo on Latimer. Oh, so it was shit. on the Latimer blocks on 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 uh, opposite Grenfell, but we must just. I actually did go up there with him, switched it off the next day, and the aerial was gone. They took the aerial down, so they must. So we said, right, they must have gone up there, rago in the day, probably yeah. seen the aerial on the day, and they've gone and taken it down. But that was the day, that was the day basically when I officially became involved with React, and Dodger kind of slowly shafted away, and then it just became me and Remo, and the once. You know the once guy that I used to look at, look up to and think, right, one day you're gonna get me on Lush. Next thing, I'm running the station with him. It was fucking bizarre. But that was that was uh, towards um, the autumn of 2003. So how long did the how long did React last for? Okay, so it was broadcasting on 99.1, um, and it was it was it was weird because we was on some shit blocks in Southampton, and it was in a dip. And like them you, got, one, you got, them ones in Southampton are, are small. Yeah, they're small. So you got like the big ones, you know, the daddy ones on, on next to the police station. Yep. And I just kept looking at them thinking, bruv, we need to get up there. But the thing is, the keys, they were multi-locked, so we couldn't get up there. And I'll get into that in a bit. And um, 
we was getting out really shit. And the reason why it was shit is because there was another station called Christine FM transmitting from East London. Now, I'm a rookie in this thing, but I kept saying to Remedy, I was like, bruv, we're getting out to Southwest, we're getting out to West, we're getting out to Northwest, but we're not hitting North and we're not hitting East. This is shit. Like, we need to... And there's another station on the same dial as us. I was like... This, I, I just knew, even though I was a rookie, I was like, nah, this is this is not normal. But, you know, I could say that we went and looked for them, but we weren't successful. But um, we was on for about three months and it came towards Christmas of 2003. And I remember it very clearly, just before Christmas, like the rig just went off. We was all at the studio, the rig went off. And then that was that. So we was off for about a month or two. And then I had a rig sitting in my house. And I kept saying to Rem, I was like, look, Rem, I don't think we should come back on 99.1 anymore. I said, it's pointless. That Christian FM thing is just fucking playing Jesus music all day long. And it's, it's just there. Like, and all right, we've 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 sustained ourselves and made ourselves known in, in the area, but that frequency is shit. And I kept saying to him, I was like, look. Layla FM, they're on a much better frequency than us. I said, why don't you just jump on 99.7? And 997 was the dial that I was using for Skank FM. But I didn't really have any plans to, to... Well, actually, I did have plans to bring it back, but it's like I'd already got emotionally invested in React. Like, yeah. Remedy had the station running professionally, so I just knew it was just better for me to be involved with React. And I said, bruv, look, I've got a link box, I've got a rig. And I said, you know what? Fuck acting. I said, come we go, Kamatli, which is where I was coming from. And again, Remedy just gave me the look and he was like, all right, go and do it then. So I had a guy called Crazy G, probably might know him. He was like one of the, the, the first guys that was around Ice Cold FM. Again, we'll get into in a bit. Crazy G with, with a K, right? With a K, yeah. yeah so yeah. he, so the reason why he was involved in Ice Cold is because he was around, um, he was around us at React and he would like come and help us set up. And I remember... I said, yeah, let's go and let's go and switch it on. So we went to, and I proper took a risk. I was thinking, fuck, is this gonna work? Because, like, you know, the distance from Acton to Fulham for me, I was like, okay, I've never linked this far before. But I just knew in my head, I was like, now nah, if we set this up properly, I was like, because he, Crazy G, he was like teaching me about cutting your aerials. He wasn't microwaving at the time; he was band one in. So he was like, yeah, make sure you cut your your you know the the length of your aerials like proper, both ends and your link set it up and it worked. And I just remember again, we went back to the studio and Remedy just had this big smile on his face as if to say like he gave me the approval. So that was like him kind of like giving me the bumps to say, all right, you say you want to do something, you've done it. And the more he kept giving me that approval is the more he kind of not stepped back, but he was just letting me do things. I was working at the record shop. People knew I was on the station. I was like, yeah, I can get you a set. And the next thing, I was just running that station like full time. And we had a good year in 2004. But again, just rig fees. We just started to get yeah. thieves, like lick us down all the time. And, and it was so fucking annoying because I believe that we was a really good station. Like, I really feel like that station should be remembered a lot more because it was very well, ru well run. And at the time, I was 17 years old. Remedy was like 19 you know, to think of that back then, could you imagine someone running the station now and being that age, you know, having to go up and down the tower block? So we was like, you know, quite professional with what we was doing, but Freeze FM 
Like, I'm not a jealous person, but I just used to be envious. I was like, right, them man, they were always on. Like, just <laughs> just always on. And, and Lalo, even if they went off, they somehow came back on. And we would, like, have, like, long periods of time, like, off, like, for, like, two months, three months. But it was only until... So do you remember, again, I heard on Outlaws Podcast Review, the, the Who's Locked uh, forums? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But I think before Who's Locked, it was called Stay Locked, if I can remember. If you can remember that. I think I, for any I, viewers I, I that's only, watching it. I only remember it from the Who's Locked days, because that was around, when it was around 05, 04, 05, when I first got into radio, or first got onto radio. I was always into it, but got onto it. Um, that was when I first clocked it, because one of the DJs that was on flight that I knew, he said to me, he's like, I oh, like, because I always used to talk to him about the nerdy side of things. Like, oh, how does the horn work? How does it sort of, sort of similar to yeah, you? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Same yeah, sort yeah. of thing. I was always obsessed with like, oh, so what? You've got to see the block from there. And then you could do that. He was like, he's like, bruv, he's like, you get loads of people talk about this shit. I'm going to send you a link to a website. It was on, <laughs> yeah. I was on MSN chatting to him and he sent me. Oh, uh, MSN, bro. He's, he's like, read, read away on there. And I was just hooked. I was just hooked on there. Yeah, man. That was that was a it was a funny place because I mean, slightly going a little bit back. I remember when I was on on Lush, and Lush had like its own de- designated and dedicated forum. Freeze had one, Passion had one, um, like you know all the top stations. Um, Rinse had one, but it was it was a good place. And you know, being on there, you're young, you're chatting shit and stuff like that. But I tell you something, that was a bit of a blessing because I think it was through that forum. Uh, um, a guy called DJ Elite, or also known as Steve Williams. Um, by the way, he did message me. I just oh. got a response to him. So, so yeah. But um, yeah, he messaged me, and he was like, he yeah. told me, he told me he's coming on as well. So I need to give him a shout. Yeah, no, nah, you need to get him on, man. That 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 guy is is yeah. is, big, is a big legend. part of my career as well, man. Big hundred percent, hundred percent. So he he's messaged me, and because I don't know, he heard through the grapevine. I was like one of the the kids running the station. And he's he's private messaged me on the forums and he was like, yo, like, you know, love what you guys are doing. Like, I know where you're coming from, but I reckon I can help you out. I've got the key to like the blocks uh, uh, by the police station. So I must have said to Rema, I was like, yo, like this, this dude is like message man. And, you know, like, obviously you got to be on guard. You're thinking, is it someone trying to set you up or whatever? But he seemed cool. And then when someone else told me, it's like, nah, this is the guy that used to run Image FM 99.7. I was like, okay. I was like, all right, straight away. You know, I think we sent a few messages back. Yeah, he told him where the studio was. He come and linked us at the studio and it was just vibes. Like he was just cool. And he just like kind of wanted to help us out. So yeah, that was that. So then he started like helping helping out with us. And then, yeah, like he, he, he was getting us onto like, the bigger blocks in South Acton. So I think before we even went on the, the Super Daddy ones, there were some bigger blocks, you know, like the biggest ones in South Acton. Yeah. And we got we got up on there. And I remember we done quite well when we was on there and stuff. Um, and these times now we've been on for like a whole year, not once, and I mean, not once, Ofcom had even cut a while, touched anything. You know, it was only literally just, um, just thieves or just dickheads, like just trying it and stuff like that. But again, we would have like a run for a month, two months, and yeah, like we was rocking, man. We, like the thing is, we was on 99.7. It was better than 991. But what our problem was is that we had Millennium Supreme on 99.8. Yeah. So the frustration was we didn't really hit north that great and hit east that great. But we would you would we would hit south pretty well. But as soon as you start, let's just say if you're going through Brixton, as soon as you start getting to Brixton, you start getting the punch from 998. And 
that used to wind me up. But I suppose the bar at that point in time was just fucking full. There was really yeah. nowhere else to go. So we just settled with that. And we were just like, look, as long as we can just like step up the power a bit, put up a 200 water at those times, put up a double stack. And as long as we can hit the whole of Southwest, the whole of West, whole of, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, North. And some days nine and eight would be off. Yeah. And there was even Ragger FM on 996, sometimes they'll be off. So that would be our little treat. Like, oh, they're off, so we're London-wide. You know what I mean? That would be our little treat. But that that um, came to an end. But then the this is where the ice cold thing comes in. So where we was renting the studio for React FM, there's a guy called Charlie Gangster. We, and we, his name was Charlie, and he, he was a gangster. You know what I mean? He's an absolute don. Um, you know, come from the roads, you know, had a business, had a recording studio next to us. And he always used to come into the studio and be like... I love what you guys are doing, man. Love what you guys are doing. And he just kept saying that to us. He was like, yeah, I think I might want to start a station. Where, where was you coming from? Was you coming from like where the storage place is and all that? Yeah. So, so, before, so basically our, so when you turn left into where the, the where the petrol station is, yep. two years after that in 2005, I moved it into the self, we actually had a studio in the self storage. I'll get into that in a bit, but we was like, it, they used to, it used to be like some milk, like some milk factory kind of thing right down at the back. So that was like the, where the first studio was. And um, yeah, Charlie had like, I think he owned it or was he like, like leasing or someone else? I'm not too sure, but he just had like spare rooms and stuff like that. And I think because his recording studio wasn't really doing too well, I think he just wanted something else to do. So he was like, look, I've got some pee. Like, I want to start a station. So I, I think the other guys wasn't really too interested at the start, but I kind of was. So Reactive M was doing its thing, whether if it was on or off. But again, I had a spare rig there. So I was like, okay, we can get Skank FM back on that piece of shit station. And I said, let's try that. So one day we we went up Kamatlas because React was transmitting. I think we went back to Acton and we was in, uh, yeah, we went to Kamatli to, to put 997 back on. And that was basically the birth of Ice Cold before it was Ice Cold. And we literally took a CD player up there, played some music for about an hour, drove around to see how it was getting out, then went back up the block and took it all down. And then about a week later, I went back to him and he must have said, okay, look, Henny, I've, I've, I've thought about this and I don't want to call it Skank FM. And I've like fucking effed them blinded like a little bitch fucking walked out of his office and fucking cried like a bitch. But then I reflected on it and I thought, I just need to let go, man. Let me just let go of this Skank FM. Reactive FM's established. If he wants to start a station, cool. And I said, what are you going to call it? And he was like, I'm going to call it Ice Cold. So that's how Ice Cold was born. So he literally um, got us to hook up him, you know, an engineer, the engineers that we was using and stuff like that. And I think like Remedy was helping out at the time. Elite, aka Steve Williams, he was helping out. Uh, Crazy G, that was like the, the, the first team. And then it, was, it just came to a point where obviously he got the money together, got the, the decks and link box transmitters. I think he didn't even get one rig. I think he like bought two rigs, three rigs to, to start with. And it just came down to what the frequency was going to be. And there was literally no space. And I just remember saying, well, boy, you know what? 961 is kind of free. And I remember everyone looking at me saying, no, 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 you can't do that. And I was like, no, man. I was like, fuck it. Just go on there. Bruv, Supreme FM. Me being the young, naive, gullible person, I was like, it should be cool. Anyways, we went to a block on Talgoth Road in Hammersmith um, and we set it up on there because I used that block years ago as well. 
for myself. So I was, I was like, it's free. Let's just link it to there. And basically, React FM was downstairs and Ice Cold was upstairs. So two stations in one studio and we linked it up. And I'm telling you, man, within a fucking day or two, everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about it. It was, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, back then days, like when you turn on the station, even on like the first day, if you was a new station, like, I'm not too sure if you could do this around the 2009, 10, 11 period, but around 2002, 2003, 2004, if you was a new station, there was always potential for, like there was always, it's almost like people was just sitting in their house with white noise, yep. waiting for a rig to turn on. It, it was mental. And everyone started talking about it, but this is where everything got interesting. And, and basically um, I, yeah, we wasn't 24 hours at the time. And I went, I literally, I was literally had a transmitter. I didn't drive. So I had a transmitter in my backpack. I got on the bus, bruv, for me to go and switch on. The bus from my house to Kamatli Estate with the rig in my bag, my drop key and my FB keys, because they were FB keys at the time. Gone to switch on, switched on the rig, links, wicked. Okay, we're on. I've come down from the block and then I get this phone call. And it's this guy basically saying, bruv, you need to get off 961, like ASAP. And I was like, what? Sorry? Listen, it's... it's, it's and by the way, I, I can say this, um, Compass, who's from every, Supreme every, FM. Every, everyone knows it, everyone knows it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was like, mate, you got to get off that dar. You can't be coming off that dar. And I was like, listen, I'm going to say this to you from now. I'm React. I ain't f-, And I declared it then. I said, I ain't fuck all to do with Ice Cold. I'm just helping out. I was like, I tell you what, there's Charlie's number and you call him and you sort it out. Anyways, them two somehow did get talking and it was it was sorted out. And it turns out, I think they was like either related or they knew someone who knew. It was all mad, like it was all mm-hmm. mad. And the, the situation got diffused very quickly. But to cut a long story short, somehow Function, um, I can't, was it a guy called Function or was it the people that used to do Function? I can't remember because it's a bit hazy for me. But basically, there was a station called Function FM. And that used to be on 97.1, I think, at the time. And I think that also used to broadcast on 108, if I'm not mistaken. Or, or was it? No, was that Unknown FM? I'm not, I'm not I, too I know, sure. It's Unknown was on 108 for a long time. Yeah, yeah, one, yeah oh, that's it. And they moved to 894, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. But basically, the guy behind Function... I think he'd like come to the end of his reign with that doll. So they somehow came to an arrangement and there was a large sum of money that was agreed. And then that was it. That was the true ultimate birth of Ice Cold FM. And yeah, man, React FM was the station that supported a whole wide range of music. And we did predominantly have a lot of grime. We, you know, we was very influential in the grime thing, just as Lalo. But with Ice Cold, there was a few grime heads that was going on there but very quickly Charlie knew what type of music he wanted on the station and he didn't really want too much grime so there was it was predominantly a lot of house music but you know good quality house music um like soulful house you know funky house um you know you had a lot of garage on there there was like rare groove DJs on there and yeah man Charlie had his shit together and it just kind of shows because me and Remedy we didn't really have money like that we were broke and we was just like relying on subs like trying to run a station, but we wasn't really as business savvy. Whereas with Ice Cold, listen, I'll tell you something, they got their shit together and that shit was always on. And it, and it, it became to a point where a lot of React DJs, like some of the mature DJs on the station, all started to play on Ice Cold because it was always on. You know, like Steve Williams was like helping out at the time and, you know, 
they were like transmitting like, a, 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 a decent amount of power. But then there became problems on 971. And there was a, a super, super battle with LBC and yeah. Ice Cold. And I was <laughs> I was there for um the part of it. Um and let's just let because I know you're probably gonna ask another question, but I, I've got to get this story out. But um there was one time where it was bait setting up in Acton. And one time, Charlie, he had like, we was on top of the roof and the guy's a madman. He, it's like, usually people like carjack a rig down or or they fucking cement it or whatever. This guy was, he put the rig down this like chute and he just got loads of bricks and and he was hammering the bricks down. It was going ta, 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 ta. And I was thinking, this is fucking bait, bruv. We're going to get shit. And it was me, Remedy and Charlie on there and he was up there for time and remedies at the corner of the block and he's like bruv it's the end feds are coming mate he's still hammering away i'm like charlie we've got to go i was like we've got to go and the rig's on this time the rig's on and everything but he was just trying to make sure his rig was like protected so for I'm- anyone anyone who's listening who doesn't know quite what we're talking about one of the ways that you used to be able to keep a pirate radio transmitter hidden on a roof of a tower block was yeah. to was to delock it bolt it onto a car jack and then put the car jack down into a shaft and pump it till it opens up. Yeah, widen up to the walls. Yeah, Steve, Steve that, Williams taught me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah and he that taught will, me that. That will widen onto the side of the shaft and it will grip in a motion. So it will open like that and it will grip onto the side. And that way your, your rig will just hang off the bottom of it, but no one will be able to get to it. So that's, to what, that's, it, yeah. that's what we're talking about jacking in. But this, this mad bastard is in there covering it with bricks and trying Bruh, to- this weren't even a jack. This is what I'm saying. It was <laughs> madness, but I'd never seen anything like it. And I'd seen some stuff in like in a short period of time, but it, it, it was, you know what it was? It was the noise that he was making and it was like the hammering and that, that reverb on that, hammering was just echoing fucking everywhere talk like, about pissing is... off the neighbors <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean it was mad but do you know what it was fucking nuts this is a true 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 story and elite if you watch this also known as steve williams you'll probably remember the story i'm um, being told to you but i think this was like sometime in 2004 or to maybe to early 2005 around that period and i remember it was me remedy and charlie and when we realized the feds were coming i was like come come we cut but the feds had already got into the block. Charlie was, and I think Charlie, I don't know how this happened, but this is a true story. And he was like, I know a squat. He's just kicked this door open and we've gone in there. And the police, you could see the police with their torches all outside, hearing their walkie talkies and everything. And we stayed in the house. They did not leave that block for at least two and a half hours. Mate, <laughs> it was a fucking squat. There was no one in this flat. And we had to stay there. I fell asleep. I fell asleep in there. You could not make this up. You could not make this up. True story. Bizarre. It's one of them ones where you think it's like, you remember the scene in the first Matrix film where Neo is like bouncing through different rooms and he doesn't know where he's going? Like, it's one of them ones. <laughs> yeah, but that that is that is a true story. And I don't know how we got away with that. And you know, I just started seeing um the mother of my children. I'm not with her now. She's like my ex-girlfriend, but I only literally, that's it. So it was 2005. So I'd... I'd, I'd literally just started seeing her and she was waiting for me at my house and i kept saying yeah i'm coming back i'm coming back just waited at my house i didn't even come back mad (laughs) mental the things we do for radio man Mm. do for radio that's 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 a close call for sure Mm. that is a close call yeah Um, so obviously you know that's 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 around as you say the 2004 2005 mark in terms of yourself and what you were doing for you with regards to productions and things like that, was that sort of starting to creep in around that time or did that come later? 
Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like the thing is, I I actually wrote a track in, um, you know, I've been writing a few tracks, but you see, the thing is, my life was a little bit more dedicated to DJing and pirate radio, but I love produ- production just as much. And Silky, who I mentioned a little bit before, he was like your producer's producer. Like he was making beats all day, every day. Every time I said I was going to get a new computer, I never, did, I never did. I got a new rig. So that was where my priorities was. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but before my computer blew up, I did make a track called Headshaker, which, um, would you believe it, Plastician, known as Plastic Man back those times, and DJ Youngster from Rinse FM. And this is like 2002. So I was 16 years old and Sarah was going to sign it. So I remember, you know, being called up into, you know, the ammunition office and just, and LBs literally sitting right in front of me thinking, what the fuck? Like, this is all mad. And everything was happening a little bit too fast, too quick, but, that track never got signed and it never came out in the end. And I'm bloody glad because I wasn't ready as a producer then. But, you know, Plastic Man was playing it on Rinse and Youngster was playing it on Rinse and they were playing it out forwards. So that kind of gave me like the inspiration and like the drive to be like, OK, I can do this. But yeah. basically on React FM, um, Silky founded and I co-founded uh, a production um, camp called Antisocial Entertainment. So originally it was like Silky and a guy called Harry Craze. Now, Harry Craze is production partners with uh dj beats from people just do nothing okay so so that's the crazy and hoax so dj beats is production name in real life is is hoax his real name's hugo chegwin so that this is where the link comes in with with that and silky and harry craze they were like making tunes together and i was watching them learning my trade because i love like again like really experimental experimental music and they just progressed very very quickly and they were using like FL Studio or Fruit Loops as it was at that time. But a lot of people used to cuss like Fruit Loops saying, ah, oh, that's not a serious music making program. You can't make serious beats on made, there. But made some of the biggest ground tracks of all time on Fruit Loops. Of course, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> but 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 in, in our time, in our time, honest to God, like people did not take it seriously. Yeah. So it was a thing where I was watching what Silky was doing, watching what Harry Craze was doing. And I started to use it as well. I was using Reason first, but when Silky told me about Fruity Loops, I was like, what the fuck is Fruity Loops? But then when he showed me how to use it, he was like, yeah, you can drag in your own samples and here's your step sequence. And that was a game changer for me. And I've never looked back, still use it to this day. Um, But we was like forming a sound as a camp. So Silky would like make these tracks and they were like very melodic, like, grime songs but it it was like it was too advanced for for grime a lot of mcs like some people liked it some people didn't like it It was weird but do you remember a crew from channel uh channel u days called unorthodox yeah just about yeah Yeah, and so there's an mc called like nole she's like one of the pioneering like nole nole's an absolute right yeah so she was she was she was um she was the, the female MC in the Creole Orthodox, and they had this track called No Help No Handouts, which Silky produced. And that track just absolutely blew up. I was like playing it on the radio and another DJ um, called J5, he was playing on React those times as well, if you can if you can remember the name. And he ended up playing on Rinse FM and then he came back to Flex, but we was all on React. And basically I knew a guy called Quest who I met at Lush FM. And I don't know, we just like kind of gelled. And I, it was my vision. I was like, "Raw, you know what? I need to introduce you to Silky. Before you know it, we've got like an entourage of like, you know, very um, hungry and very- Raw, raw amb- talent. Raw yeah, talent. raw talent. And yeah, amb- ambitious um, producers. And we was like, you know, kind of forming like this sound. And 
the thing is, we're, our, our background was like soul music. So we kind of wanted to like take what happened in Jungle and in Garage, but kind of pull it into grime and just do it in our own kind of way. But again, we was like working with MCs and stuff like that. And Silky was a little bit successful with that. He like had records that came out on a label called P, which was uh, like a, subsidi a subsidiary of um, Polydor Records. And he knew the um, A&R guy, Ben Palmer, who started PMR Records, Disclosure and all of that um, down the line. But yeah, he was around that from early, but Silky just kept doing what he was doing. We was playing on the radio and Silky's music just getting, it was just getting more popular and popular and popular. But it's a bit weird because even though when we was doing React FM, I was listening to Rinse FM as a fan very heavily. And I met Slimzy in 2004 when I was um, uh, working at Uptown Records. But again, even though I'm like a fanboy, Pirate Radio Man to another Pirate Radio Man. So I was like, what, so what, like, what, Slim? Like, what, can you get man to set on, set on rinse and that? Like, you know, I, I play like, you know, the sound, like the forward sound and all that. He was like, yeah, 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 I'll get you set. But then when he found out that I was doing the Station of West, he was quick to ask me, what, so what? Can you get me a rig? Can you get me a horn? Can you get me this? So <laughs> me and Slimzy formed a, a relationship when I was 17 doing React and I was like hooking him up with like engineers because I think some people were like messing him about. But it was weird because I knew a lot of the people that Slimzy knew from Rinse, but other people didn't know each other. But I was just really trying to get hard, uh, trying hard to get on that station. But somehow J5, who was in our crew as well, he started DJing for Black Ops. Now, Black Ops had a radio show on Rinse FM 100.3 at the time. This was around 2004 times. And he he started DJing for Black Ops. He was going on Rinse. And I was like, wow, you lucky bastards. You're on Rinse already. <laughs> like thinking, fucking hell. But what happened was the Black Ops thing kind of came to an end. And then it was the end for J5. And React again was like inconsistent. Do you know what I'm saying? It wasn't always on. So as DJs, even though we aspire to have our own station on and stuff. As DJs, I knew, I was like, that is the station we need to get on. Yeah. Because Rinse was just super, you know, Delight FM had faded away by then. You know, um, uh, Freeze FM was on and they were like the big thing in West. But I kind of felt like Rinse was just doing things a little bit different, do you know what I'm saying? So I was like, that's the station that we need to get on. And I said to J5, I was, I was like, Ra, you've got Doug's number. I said, just ring him up and I guarantee you'll get a show. And what did he do? Literally rang him. You got a show, but it was a three to five in the morning. I said, take, I said, take that yeah. rude boy, take okay. that. So, so that was again, the entry point to us being in and around uh, Rinse. So sometimes I'll see Slimzy at Ford. I'll be like, yeah, you know my boy J5, he's, he's got a show. He's like, oh, is that your boy? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, man. It's like, Bruv, tell G, like, get me a show. That kind of thing. And that went on for fucking ages. But cut the long story short, in the end, my, uh, my crew, we was getting really popular. Like, you know, J5 and myself, like, we was, like, giving, like, tracks to, like, Maximum, um, Tubby, um, who else at the time? Like, a few other people on Rinse. And there was a guy called Sterling who was running the station at the time, like, Doug. So, basically, just before I got on Rinse, Doug's was running the station but just as I was getting on there, Dugs had just moved to go to Cool FM. So this was around late 2005, January 2006. And then I got the call out of nowhere and Sterling was like, yeah, look, we've heard about you. Um, 
we want to give you a show on rinse. Now I'm going to say this to you now. When I got that fucking phone call, I literally ran out my house and I screamed. Because at that point, I swear to God, this is not even a joke. Because I knew at that point, I was like, this is it. This is going to change all of our lives. And as much as we tried so hard to have our own station and not just do it for ourselves, do it for the people, for the community, because there was so much talent in West. But the thing is, again, we were broke. We we didn't have money like that. So we was always against the odds, isn't it? Do you know what I'm saying? So we just kind of just thought, okay, let's just concentrate as DJs. Let's 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 fly the flag for the crew, fly the flag for the sun. And then me and J J Five was flying the flag as DJ. So basically, Silky was a DJ himself, but he was more concentrating on production. So I ended up getting a four hour show on Ritz FM in January two thousand and six. I'll never forget it. it was a Monday. Uh, was it wait free? Yeah, it was, I think it was a three to seven show. It was a four hour show. So two hours grind, two hours dubstep. And then that was that. And then through our time being on rinse, mate, it just transcended into a, a madness because we had another producer in the crew called Quest and he made this track called Hard Food, which is an iconic dubstep track. Yep. And we gave a CD to Scream at the time. And I remember giving the CD, I gave the CD to Scream at Forward. And I was like, look, please, bro, just listen to these tracks. Now, none of my tracks were on there at the time. It was just Silk and Quest. So we we was doing our best to push them because we knew they were the producers that were doing what they were doing. Mate, the next day, Screams left me like 10 voicemails saying, oh, my fucking God, what the fuck is this? This is fucking <laughs> mental, mate. Oh, I've never heard anything. He was losing his shit. And again, I just, again, I, it's all coming back to me. I just remember... You know, just because Screams really started to make a super name for himself. And I knew even three, four years before that, I said, mate, this guy Scream and Bengal, they're going to take over the world. People used to laugh at me. Even just from like Midnight Request line and them times there was just like... Yeah, well, right. yeah, 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 game, yeah, game yeah, over yeah, yeah. For everyone. Well, well, Midnight Request Line was when it was game over. This this was like a few months beforehand. But yeah, when Midnight Request Line came out, that was it. It was curtain. So to have someone like him that was super accepted in not just dubstep, but outside of dubstep, just electronic music in general. It's like, what are you telling me? Pipe Rager's got this fucking power. Like, I, cause I thought it was done. I thought we missed out on that. Cause you know, you had garage and, and jungle that all happened. So to see something that we was a part of, and, and a lot of this was honestly, this, that was like ultimately supported thoroughly by Rinse FM, their organization without Rinse FM, they, they, they would, they, dubstep would be there, but it wouldn't have developed in the way how it did because they me had and, all of the, the guys on there, you know? Me and Dan said it on the episode that I'd done with him. Like, I think it was Dan anyway. Um, we were saying, like, Rince was at the forefront of every big push in a different genre from the death of, I, I say it with respect to the death of Garage. So, You're from, absolutely right. From, You're 100% right. That's from the truth. Then, from that time, Rince was at the forefront of everything. I mean, to a certain degree, even it was even at the forefront of a lot of garage as well because it was around that time but yeah. it was it was still kind of doing yeah, a yeah, yeah. Bass thing and a jungle thing but yeah uh, uh, you know you say that the power of pirate radio is interesting because rinse it kind of comes in cycles the music industry right we'll always have this big thing and then it'll die off and you'll have another big thing replace it and we still see it happen now like we don't really have that much grime anymore it's drill you know drill is like the new big commercial thing you know so yeah Drill, drills going to number one, but then that will kind of slimmer down, and there'll be something else in three years, you know. So that, it's just the way it rolls. But mm. with 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 rinse and with that time from from around 06, obviously from around 05, 06, they were pushing dubstep. Simultaneously, 
You know, they, they were actually pushing it a little, a little tiny bit before that, really. I, yeah, I would yeah. say when they really started to go for it was towards the late of 03. I yeah. can understand why you say 05, 06, because that's when it took off, because that's when I got on there. I got on there at the absolute right time. Yeah. But but if, they definitely they definitely had the characters playing it way before yeah, that. Like that Hatcher, same time. Yeah, Hatcher, yeah, yeah. Code Nine, um, you know, Plastic Man, Slaughter Mob. And I was listening, you know, DJ Scientist, and I was listening to them guys just thinking, oh, I want to be a part of this so bad. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, you have to earn your strike. That's the thing, like, yeah. these days now, you can just decide to become a DJ today, tomorrow you're already a part of something. You really, yeah. back those days, you really had to earn your stripes. Yeah, you know especially, what I mean? Especially on a station like Rinse, and that's what I was getting to, like, with, with regards to Rinse and the early dubstep days, as I say, like, I would say from 05, and the reason I'd, I'd, I'd classify it from 05 is because simultaneously, at the same time they started pushing uk funky and they they, they managed yeah. they managed to push two genres that took the country and parts of the world i mean in dubstep's case the entire world oh it was the part, entire world yeah, 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 yeah parts of yeah. the world by absolute fucking storm and that came yeah. that i don't care what anybody says that came from Rinse. There was a couple yeah, of other oh, stations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a couple of other stations of people that I knew because I was big into the UK funky thing. A lot of people knew me for that. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. Like, um, I remember the first, I think I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but I think the first proper funk track I'd call UK funky was probably Invasion Crew. Take over with Creed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, so yep. That's probably the first wow, one. Wow, taking it but, back, man. But also, NG. And baby Katie, who later became Katie B. Katie B. Yeah, I remember seeing all of that come together because I Tell was me. on I was it, on Rinse. Yeah, I remember yeah. I was on Rinse FM at the time. And they were they were yeah. the first two tracks. And obviously, I can't remember if NG was on Rinse around that time or whatever, but Rinse was pushing that tune from early. Obviously, Genius had a connection with Katie that that's you know, right. stood the test of time. That's um, right. Like and obviously she's gone on to do ridiculous things in both yeah, genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, There's a prime example over, of the man. connection. There's a prime yeah. example of the connection. UK funky and dubstep simultaneously. She absolutely bodied both genres because she was there. She was in that. Can country. I? Can I? Can I them. tell you? Yeah. Can I tell you why that is? Yeah. And it's not only just because of Rinse FM. I mean, of course, yeah. Like Rinse, they just knew how to recruit the best DJs and the most interesting DJs at the forefront of every genre. They were good at that, but- Well, even, but, even so, sorry to jump in, but even, yeah. as a, even, as a, even as another example to that, slightly after the, the heyday of then, in around 2011, 2012, the biggest sound coming out of London was that deep tech audio rehab sound, and Mark Radford had the Mark Saturday Radford, Night Show yeah, on Rinse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like yeah they done it, yeah, they done yeah, it every yeah. time. They, they, they've done it every single time. They, they, they were just always ahead of their time. But you see, the thing is, yeah, Rinse, I think you're, look, you're absolutely right. And I followed this like simultaneously and it was, it was very interesting. Like I, I would get the Rewind magazine, the RWD magazine and Rinse actually used to have like these, these posters. And I would, so we was talking about DJ Narrows, Save Soul. Yeah. Mate, in 2002, DJ Narrows used to play on Rinse, you know, don't ever get it twisted. He was on that lineup. And I, I saw that, I was thinking, what? They've got Narrows, like thinking, and they just kept on doing it. Like every year, they just had more and more and more. Some people didn't know what was going on because they were ahead of their time. But then when things started to like pick up, people were like, rah, Rinse has got the ting. They got like the top of top DJs on there. But um, the reason why Rinse did so well is because I think it's definitely got a lot to do with Sarah Soldier or AKA Sarah uh, Lockhart because she already had ammunition. She already had her business. And she just basically merged that with Genius. And I think Genius saw the light in that. Because these times now, like, 
Slimzy got his asthma in 2004 and Slimzy weren't really about like that. Do you know what I'm saying? You might hear him do the odd show here and there, but like Genius just took like the lead in terms of like the business for Sarah and the way how Sarah was like branding that station. Like, listen, a lot of people forget long before Rince got their license in 2010. And this is where kind of like, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Flex later, but it's like, where well, I took inspiration from Rince eventually when I got involved with Flex and I was like, right, it's about branding. It was all to do with branding. They knew how to brand, you know, a product. They knew how to brand a record. They knew how to brand an artist. They knew how to brand a DJ. They knew how to brand an event. And I remember um, Rince FM. See, this is when I knew, like, things was really, really special. And they did, uh, they got Ministry of Sound. It was on a Wednesday night but they got Ministry of Sound and they called it Rinse Sessions. They used to do a few of those like before at Black Placid People, like on the odd week when Ford wasn't happening, but they did a big one and they took over the whole of Ministry of Sound. Listen, Rinse at that time, they had Roll Deep on there, Essentials. Then you had like the, the uh, who's the guys that used to play on them? G, like the Jiggy Bees and all of that yeah. um, playing in the, in the other room. And then they had a forward room. And I've still got the flower on my wall. And I looked at that and I thought, rah, that was like the game changer. But it's like when Sarah came in and then they started doing like rinse versus forward at the end and all that kind of stuff. And then whilst that was happening for like grime and dubstep, you had like, yeah, I mean, I was never really a part of funky, but I always admired it. I thought, you know, because I just love music. I love all types of music as long as it's good. And I think Genius had an event or something that he was involved in called Yellow. And it used yeah. to be in bricks. And I think, was it at like a fridge or something like that? Yeah. And I was like, rah, these men have got it on lock. And like other people that I knew would tell me like, they got it popping over there. Now I didn't really go to yeah, like, I, I could be like mistaken. That. I think it was G and- um, It was someone else he Tipper. was doing. I think it Tipper. was Tipper as yeah, well. Tipper, yeah, Tipper, that's it. Well, yeah, all the men there. And they, they just had, they just literally had it on lock. And I kept telling people from long time, I was like, Ritz is the station, Ritz is the station. And the thing is, because I'm from West, Rinse weren't really solidified like that. It was a freezer femme thing. Yeah. It was it was an ice cold femme thing. If it was React when it was on and, and Lalo and, you know, Infostep and, you know, all these other stations. But it was until when the branding came in, because you couldn't get away with it, the internet yeah. started to become dominant. So people would actually tune in, not only just by, you know, the FM, they were tuning in by the internet and you would see like rinse posters everywhere. So yeah, that, they that, just that, had their branding on lock. The rinse.fm actual website name, um, you know, the fact that they had, you know, 24 seven DJs, every DJ, right. on, every DJ on there was a producer. They were all big names. Um, That's right. Like all of the, you know, the press shots, they all had the little rinse logo on them. Whatever mix was coming out that month. Yeah, like, yeah, that that Marcus. was all. That was all. That was all. Sarah and obviously yeah. Genius coming together. Like you had um, Give Up Art, who always did, um, and they're still about now. Give Up Art, who always did like Sarah's stuff for Ammunition, and then he, um, you know, they started doing um the rinse stuff, and then you had Sean Bloodworth. Now Sean Bloodworth was the one that took all of those iconic photos. Now, could you believe I was on Rinse FM for four years and I never got a photo taken? <laughs> and I was so upset. And, and you know what? He actually he actually passed away about three years ago. Shit. Two years ago, yeah. And all, all of those photos, like dubstep all-stars, like the rinse mix CD, he took all of them photos. So it had a look. So I kind of um, learned from that and, you know, just being on there as a DJ. I mean, in the time, would you believe it? I actually switched React FM back on. I gave it one last go <laughs> in 2006 and, and 
here's a story for you. So um, I decided to put React FM back on because this is the thing. When you're, when you're in the hood and you're on a station like Rinse, people genuinely think you've made it. Yeah. And that's that's literally how it felt. There were like a lot of people was either really happy for man or they were fucking jealous. But some people were like, "Rah, get me a set on rinse," and I'm like, "I'm nothing to do with it. I don't write it. Like, you know my thing. My things react. No, no, no. Get me a set on rinse." And I'm like, "I've got nothing to do with it. Like, I don't even really talk to genius like that. I just used to talk to Sterling, a guy called Rat Slimzy, every now and then, and Youngstar, and that's it. And all the DJs on the station I knew because we used to see each other forward." But I've got a soft heart, man, and I just used to feel like, fuck, man. I, I, I felt like I just like left the hood in the lurch. Like, so I was like, I've got the bug for it, man. I've got to switch on again. So I gave it one last go. But do you know what? This is actually really interesting because switching React FM on for the, for the last time when I was involved was actually one of the best moves that I could have done. So I had my show on Rinse. J5 had his show and we was doing like anti-social shows together. But I decided to get a studio in Hammersmith, which which was literally opposite Silky's house on one road away from my mother's house. So it was perfect. And uh, um, we decided we was going to use Edward Woods again in in Shepherd's Bush. Um, Got a couple of rigs and it was me, a guy called Rough One, um, a guy called Rocco from Ribena Squad. Um, even though I don't talk to him no more, but a guy called Marky T. And they all helped me get the radio back on because Remedy was like, look, you take it. I don't want nothing to do with it. Like, I can't be bothered because I think he tried bringing Lush back on a few times. And we brought React back on. Now, I'll tell you something. We got DJs like one man on the station. So one man came on React FM on this last stint. So before he was on Rinse, he was playing on a very, you know, small internet station called Sub FM. He got in touch, and I remember he was like a big fan of me, like even before I was on Rinse, because he couldn't believe I was playing Midnight Request Line on Lush. He was that shit blew his mind. So I was like, rah, he knows. So you know, I recruited one man, uh, Roscoe. I recruited, you know, Antisocial. We was on there, um, and a few other guys as well. And we actually became competition to Rinse yep. at at one point. And I'm sorry, genius, but um. Yeah, Genius hated that deep down. He absolutely hated it. So sometimes I would turn up to radio shows late because I was on the roof sticking up a rig for React. But yeah, it was mad. It was mad. And that's, 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 that's some of the things that I found myself in, you know, situations. That is part of your overall legacy, though, is you did with doing that last stint there. Um, I know for a fact, just from, you know, Grapevine and just from a few articles over the years that, you did, you know, people that were signed later on and worked for Dub Police as a brand and blah, blah, blah. You mentioned Roscoe and people like that, like that they, you know, they got a break through you. And at the end of the day, like yeah. sometimes that's like, even if you're only a small part of that person's journey, like sometimes that that spark is all someone needs. And you, you clearly gave that to a couple of people. Yeah. You know, you know what? One thing, James, is is for me, as much as that, I, I, I really wanted to be a DJ and kind of be a center, you know, be the center of attention. It's like I'm an attention seeker that doesn't like attention. And you know, I've I heard Dizzy Rascal say that years ago. I'm an introvert of a fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I can but relate. I, <laughs> but, oh but I heard that and I was like, I get that because sometimes I'm like, oh shit, all the attention is on me. But I want it at the same time. Yep. But ultimately, ultimately, some people might say it might be a downfall of mine, but I just loved helping people. That is why I wanted to do a radio session because you get you get different types of people that that do radio. You get people that do radio because they get a hard one for sticking up an aerial, which I suppose maybe I do too. 
but I want to play some music through it. I don't want to just transmit for no reason. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I noticed there was characters like that. There was a lot of dickheads that used Dan, to... Dan, Dan, we're talking about you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, there was a lot of... Yeah, fuck it, I'm going to mention it. There was, a, there was a station that kind of came on and they came on because of me. I don't know if you remember it called Frontline FM. Yeah. Right, so Frontline FM was born out of the station I made called Skank FM earlier. Those two guys... Don't know whether to mention their names a lot because they are fucking absolute assholes. But I, I, if it weren't for me, they wouldn't have done radio. I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit naive and gullible. I was young then, do you know what I'm saying? But a few of my rigs went missing to them guys, you know what I mean? But I did everything I could to help them. But the thing is, with those guys there that did that station, they weren't like they they liked music, but they weren't. They weren't in music like that. They they were just like, it was more of an ego thing. It's like, rah, I can put up a, an aerial. I can transmit. Yeah, I've got a station. Don't get it twisted. I was like that to some extent, but I had I had a I had a goal. I had a mission. I I want I wanted to get talent on the station. And and as I got older, the ego just went right down. I was like, Raj, you know, it's it's not even about me because we've got this opportunity now. Let's push some talent through. But there was other people that was just you know, transmitting and they weren't doing anything with it. And yeah. and that's why, I think that's why I suppose, you know, I suppose that I kind of moved away from that kind of crowd. And then I ended up on, on Rinse. But, you know, unfortunately for me, like the, the Rinse FM situation kind of got a little bit sticky. These times now I kind of started to blow up and I was touring up and down the country. Like you even, I, you even got to play out forward as well, right? Yeah, I waited six years for that. One of the best <laughs> days of my life. Um, listen, that you know, was that, that uh, um, was that Plastic People then? Plastic, well? Yeah, Plastic People. That was. That I remember. Was... I, I went to a few of those nights when when it was like early dubstep, and I was never like I always liked the music because I used to rave to drum and bass a lot, um, and I used to have it in the in the room too. And obviously, I liked Garage, and I liked what we then later on went on to call Grime, because um, I never really heard that term Grime that much around 0304. Um but yeah, I remember going to to Plastic People on a couple of occasions, and yeah, like I think I think they funny funny enough, Plastic Man, uh, Plastician, or Plastic Ian, as some people like to call him. Um, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Let me but, not say anything because, more. Be, but yeah, because yeah, yeah, people yeah. people don't realise that the spelling is Plastician. Yeah, yeah, who's yeah, Plastic yeah. Ian? <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, he he used to play there quite a lot. Young Star, obviously, after the um, you know, I think he'd had the track out on Dizzy Rascal's album and all that kind of stuff. Like, so obviously he was blown by them, but he used to do sets there. So like various people. And then who's that? Who's that we're talking about here? Uh, young Star as well. That's the different youngster. That's, oh, that's the, the that's, that's the next that's youngster. a mus that's a musical mob youngster yeah, who made yeah, Pulse Sex. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know what? Uh, that you're talking about stand up tall. Yeah, I've got that on the dub plate, uh, the <laughs> instrumental. Well, I cut that. I cut that three three years before that came out, and yeah. I was playing that on Lush. So yeah. yeah, man. But yeah, so like he he would do sets there. Um, and then obviously Benga Benga would play there a few times. That's right. Um, when he was like, well, obviously like when um. When night came out and twenty six baselines around like that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. So we're so, talking. We're talking about like two thousand and six, seven. Yeah, yeah, like that period. So yeah. I went. I went there a few seven, times eight, there to yeah. plastic people, and that gaff was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> It you was. Had, it was. You, uh, had, you had some weirdos in there. You had some hood boys in there. It was like a mad. You know that mad East East Central London mix, anyway. But you had that crowd in there, and then it was just like the sound. It was like what? The sounds are unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Well, you know what? You see, like, kind of touching on that. It's like 
when I first went to forwards, and I remember the very first, the very, 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 very first one, it was September 2002. I was 16 years old at the time. And Youngster's like, I think he's like a year older than me. Now I was working at Release the Groove. Youngster was working at Black Market and Youngster's obviously um, Sarah's um, little brother. Um, and yeah, I went there with him and Silky had a record um, that he had made and I put it out on my label. And I was like, Youngster, yeah, could you play it? Could you play it? You know, as I just wanted to hear it on that sound system. And the thing is, I was so excited just to be there I didn't care if there was no one in the dance. And let me tell you something, there was literally about 10 people there and one girl. And that one girl was Sarah who owned it. So there was no, and every time I would eventually over the years, like bring someone to four, cause I was always being like, you know, the, the like the, 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 you could say the whistleblower for, for, for forward, like saying, ah, oh, you need to come down and check this out. You're like this. Nine times out of 10, everyone liked it, but there would always be that one person and they'll be like, there's no girls here. Cause we was used to going, cause I, I, I'm a raver too. So we used to go Sidewinder, La Cosa Nostra, Exposure, Coliseum. And it was always like champagne and gallon, all them things, you know what I mean? But at Forward, it was about the music. Yeah. So even though eventually over the years, cause it took a long time for Forward to really have that kind of heaving moments in, 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 in the club. like. Obviously, like when I remember when Ford had like their second birthday at Plastic People and a lot of people kind of came down for that. But every year it was progressing. But it always used to be like it was once a month on a Thursday. Then it eventually progressed on to uh, uh, two Thursdays in the month. And then eventually it progressed on to every Friday. And then when it got to every Friday, that's when it was. And listen, I've got some stories for you, man. I remember being at Ford and like Skepta and Wiley and 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 uh who else would come down like d double yeah. and footsie and obviously like all of us we were all on ritz fm together as well but they had their thing popping with grime and i would always say to people i always say look listen let me tell you something you see grime and dubstep music and i know this is a dj just seeing the transition but that is brother and sister music because it was both born out of garage at the same time and you know before dubstep was like solidified in its way and grime was solidified in its way listen you could li listen to slimsy on the radio you could listen to me on the radio at the time you could listen to tubby on the radio or dj's like hatcher or 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 dj scientists like and we was all like in between the sounds but at some point there were stages where it was like oh this is what i'm going to go ahead and do but to a lot of people, some people think that grime and dubstep are so far apart from each other. So some people couldn't work out why Wiley and Dizzy, or not Dizzy, but why Wiley and Skepta will come down to forward. But listen, them man there are sound man. They are producers. So they would go there and they would just like, they would literally be in forward and they would just be like head down, yeah. like in the zone, lighting their spliff, gun finger up in the air. So they they were just like the crowd, you know what I mean? I remember and one time, I mentioned it on a couple of podcasts ago, I was in um, Corsica Studios in Elephant and Castle and Jakes, who made some drum and bass stuff, he was an MC. Yeah, from um, Bristol. Yeah, 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 yeah. bad boy. He was, um, he was DJing and D-Doubles was MCing on his set. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was a normal I didn't, thing. I didn't even clock that, that he was there. And obviously we was like, my boy was like, oh yeah, Jakes is playing, but D-Doubles weren't on the lineup. But all of a sudden you just heard, ooh, ooh, and it yeah, was like, yeah, no, no yeah, 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 fucking, fucking way. way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, you know what, that was, because back those days, I was going to like all of the events then, and that was a normal thing. By the way, Corsica Studios is a, like, after Plastic People, that's one of my favorite clubs because it reminds me of Plastic People because they've got an incredible sound system in there. 
it, I remember the first time I went to Corsica Studios and I thought, fuck, I mean, they changed it up over the years, but I went with Youngster and J5 one time and I remember there was just like loads of sweaty guys with their tops off and just thinking, where the <laughs> fuck is this? But I quickly realised, I was like, no, nah, I like this because it's underground. It doesn't look pretty. It's just about the DJs going there, playing their dub plates, playing their tunes. Yep. And again, it's about the music. So there was that separation of culture of like getting dressed up to go out and look good and, you know, do your little garage ganks and all of that. And it was just about, right, you know what? I made this beat last night. I'm going to hear it on the sound system. Yeah. So that that was like the kind of the, the mindset. And we um, again, we took that from Pirate Radio. Do you know what I mean? Because we would always go and test out what we was doing on the radio first and like would like play like a shit mix down of a song and play it on the radio. And we'll, we would always want, it, want to hear our songs back through the compression of the radio. And yeah. we'll be like, oh, that's not sounding right. And then we'll go home and fix it up and then go ahead and then play it on the clubs. And yeah, that was like the cycle. Yeah, cool Studio. But as I was talking, it was Scott Diaz a couple of episodes ago. I was talking about it, and um, the the particular night, even the one the same night that D Doubles was there in the other room, Cameo was playing a set with Flutter. So Flutter's obviously there, Brrr, and all that, that magic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then and then Nero, Nero went on straight after, and that was before Nero was Nero. Wow. So that, so that was when they were. Um, I can't even think about some of the tunes they had back then, but it was like early, early before anything blew, before anyone even knew. The so this this must have been what two thousand and six, seven. Yeah, around the same times. sort of time. I was yeah, because forward, they, they blew, forward they, was yeah. Forward was still Thursdays around them times as well. So that's when I remember that, that right. particular era, because that was when I started going to a lot of drum and bass raves. Um, I used to go to players a lot and like various different events and things like that. And and I was saying to um, again, I was saying to Scott, room two was always dub police at fabric whenever it was, correct, whenever, yeah. whenever it was true players and that was when like that's right dubstep went from being the room two thing so then it was like you're going room two at fabric which was always popping anyway and it was like fucking hell this should really be room one now and like, this yeah, is a bit yeah. um... it, it was it was unreal you know i've got a big up um casper because um casper's actually a west londoner he's from chiswick yeah. but he he was actually like if i'm not mistaken at that point in time the first West Londoner to to be on Rinse FM. But before he was Casper, he was called Quiet Storm. And he had a label called, I think it was like Storming Records, but his stuff at the time was like, it was like, you know, coming into like what was dubstep. It was a little bit more breakbeaty like kind of stuff. It was almost like kind of off the tail end of like what Zinc was doing and all that kind of stuff. And then you had, you had people like Slaughter Mob and, um, you know, Toasty Boy and um, oh, who else? Uh, Oh, who else? Who else? Who else? Um, I've got it in my, you know, this is the thing. I'm 35 now. <laughs> my brain used to be so good and I can't think of it. But anyways, people during that period was like making that stuff. But then he set up another label called um, Dub Police. But Casper, he 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 actually made um, a few tracks. I think it was Rubber Chicken. It was a track he made called Rubber Chicken and, and it got signed to Tempo. But Casper was his alias. His main DJ name was Quiet Storm. But the tune blew up so much, he was like, fuck it. He must have just thought, I'm going to keep Casper as my main name. And then he just stayed as Casper. Everyone knew Casper's label was Dub Police. And he just knew how to do business. And he knew how to, again, he was someone that knew how to brand things. So to see someone from the same area as me, you know, start a label and then a couple of years down the line, they're doing Fabric Live Mix CDs and doing Room One. And it, it was just absolutely amazing, you know, to see that stuff. And, and other people who I've got to shout out who I, I who are just as important, I, I, I believe, as, um, you know, Ammunition, Rinse FM and Forwards. Um, 
yeah, is is DMZ, Digital Mystics. And um, so that's Mala, that consists of Mala and Koki. And DMZ makes up, um, you know, Digital Mystics and Lofar and Sergeant Pokes. And when they started doing their label and they started doing events at a place called Third Base in Brixton, I'm telling you, that was the game changer, man. It was very kind of subtle at start. You could tell there was a lot more numbers coming to these dances, but it was weird because, again, we was doing Rinse FM, but we wasn't just transmitting to London. You had people like um, Bear Files, uh, Depot, shout out Depot and Bear Files, and then on to uh, Dark, um, Get Darker, shout out Darkside and Ashley from Get Darker. And they were the guys that kind of helped get Rinse onto the international platform like the, the like the streaming so you had people flying out from like japan and france and america people's all coming out to me saying yo henny g just thinking yo this is this is amazing yeah. so dmz when it started it was like you know humble in itself few hundred people coming down and when it got to its first birthday in i think it was god is it march 2006 and i got there and it was meant to be in third base so do, do you remember third base like saint matthew's church in brixton yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it was met it was actually advertised to be at third base and i've got there and i remember people phoning me saying yo you're not going to be able to get in thinking wow what's going on here got there and ah, oh, and i saw like loads of text messages from people saying the queue's going like all the way around saint matthew's <laughs> church and all of that but then when i've got there there was no fucking queue and i've got downstairs and all i could hear was mm, mm, mm. But I was I I couldn't really work it out, and I seen Mallard downstairs, and I was like, "Yo, what's going on?" He was like, "Bruv, it's mental, bruv. I can't stay." While going here, you call, yeah, they've moved. We're, we're in we're in we're in mass. Go upstairs, go upstairs, and I was just thinking, <laughs> "Right." Walked up there, walking up the stairs, and you're going around the circle. The base is just getting intense, 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 mate. There was like 1,200, 300 there, and I, I'm telling you again, that night a lot of a lot of people's uh, life changed there because. That's when we really saw this, like this dubstep thing. Just like it, it was just a beautiful thing to see. It start off so small, even before the clubs in itself, and just listening to it on Rinse FM. Me trying to hold that as I lived in West at the time. So to listen to Hatcher, you know, as a fanboy, it, it was on hundred point three. So you was you always used to get like a kicking of classic FM coming in. So I would always like be like fucking moving the area on some weird places, and he, just hearing this music going to Big Apple. You know, all those years ago and then seeing the transition and, and and somehow me being involved in that it was just unreal and yeah you take away pirate radio from that and i just believe none of that would have come together absolutely not the uk music scene would absolutely suck ass if it wasn't for pirate radio and and even going back to the early days on the ships and stuff with rock music and things like that it's the same thing but um yeah 100 you alluded to it there you know you um you played it forward yourself um but you also you know you said you went on tour and played fucking everywhere everywhere it was mental by this time the productions are clearly blowing up for you um not just that but obviously the connections and the networking over the years clearly play clearly paying dividends um what were some of the cities and clubs that you you got to play in across the uk and, and abroad you know i've got to be really honest with you and i don't think i've actually had the chance to say this in the last 15 years but when um things blew up for anti-social entertainment you know you had so i can't forget about silky quest um j5 razor rector um they were like the main guys in in anti-social as well as myself but things was a little bit sticky there was like some politics in the crew and stuff like that and you know i kind of at the time people were saying kicked out 
or I left or whatever. But we all still, it was it was just stupid, pathetic shit. It was just silly. We all loved each other. We was all getting booked and playing on the same lines. But, you know, we was all young. There was a bit of ego in other places and stuff like that. And I was, like, having a really, really difficult time in my personal life. You know I mean? I had some, like, fucked up shit that was going on and I wasn't like a roadman or anything like that but I just found myself in certain situations that was a little bit sticky for me and and that's why I never planned it but I ended up moving away because I just got sick and tired of the bullshit that was going on and when my career was starting to to really 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 blow up I was still on rinse FM at the time but that was coming to an end and I had a lot of attention um internationally like people was wanted to put me in Japan America all that kind of stuff. And yeah, truth be told, I had like passport issues, but that was a, a, a lot of stuff to do with um, my mother. And she just basically, I love my mum to pieces, but you know, I've I've never had a chance for me to say this publicly anywhere in any interview, but my mum just did some stuff, which, you know, still isn't really explained to me properly now. But every time I got a gig, there was like something holding me back. And the reason why this was, it's because my mum wasn't born here, my dad wasn't born here. And if they're born at a certain time, for you to get a passport, you need them. And my mum was always the one person told me back. But telling young people with fucking huge egos your fucking sob story, no one gives a shit about that. So people would um, just kind of take the piss and make up stories about you. And, you know, there, there'll be a certain narrative that was pushed. So my international career kind of, it was ended before it started. And it's a bit of a shame because I sold, you know, thousands of records worldwide, you yeah. know, on vinyl and stuff. And I didn't release that many records, but the ones that I did, they just sold really well. As compared to Silky and Quest, they got signed to like DMZ's, well, uh, you know, DMZ's um, side label. It's not a side label, but Mala from DMZ, he started Deep Medi Music. And Deep Medi Music is like either the moving shadow or the Ram records of fucking, do you know what I'm saying? Of yep. dubstep. Yep. So, so they got signed to that. And I kind of a and that situation. And I just wanted to make sure that they were good. But I kind of did my thing independently. But um, the international thing just didn't really work out for me because of personal issues. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of started to have an impact on my mental health and my emotional well-being because it was in the public eye. But I, I smashed that, if, it. If you don't mind me asking, and, and mm. coincidentally, because of yesterday, would that be like Windrush Generation times? Like, would Was that something that would have affected your family then? Um, in, you terms, know, in terms of paperwork and all that, the, the official shit. It's funny you say this because someone actually... Um, uh, I say someone, but um, Tamiri Records, um, a guy called T Dunn, um, he runs a record label called um, Tamiri Records. And I actually done a panel talk in Shepherd's Bush. Called, oh, I forgot the record shop. Is it called uh, No Looking Records? I can't remember. I, I'll, I'll find it in a second. I'll mention it. But it's, a, it's actually, oh, that's it. Next Door Records. It's on Uxbridge Road in Shepherd's Bush. And what I got to do a talk about the Windrush on, um, next to DJ Ron. And Tash LC and DJ One's one of my idols, like yeah. Jungle Fever, Call of Fame and stuff. And I think today is actually Windrush Day. I think Funny you mentioned that. Today or yesterday, yeah. So or we yesterday, have... yeah, because someone someone actually posted, uh, like, tagged the story of the, the, the Windrush talk that we did back in October um, last year. And I actually asked my dad, I said, oh, dad, yeah, you know what? I'm doing this panel talk I've been asked to do. And I was like, okay, you're like eight years old now. So you said you came here at 18. So Windrush was obviously uh, a little bit beforehand. So what did you come on? But I think my mum came, my mum came on a plane, but my dad came on a boat, but his boat was called something else. 
but it was just it i think just the way how they like because both my parents are from dominica and at one point they were like a uh like a country of the british empire yeah but then they became independent at some point so you know like passports and like the way how the government like like prints things in and stuff they, it's always changing and stuff, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? I was that's, that's, like, that's, that's why I was asking about it. Was that an, yeah. an, an, an effect of it? Because just based Could on, be. I think it was, um, this podcast will drop on the 30th, but, um, you know, we're recording a week, a week in advance. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I think it was yesterday. I think the 22nd, it might even be today was Rimrose Day. And it just, it just jogged, jogged my mind when you were talking about that. Like, yeah. Cause that's a big problem. A lot of families have had is like, either the, the parents or the grandparents or whatever, or sometimes even, even younger people like getting sent to a country that they never actually lived in because of like a stupid issue over paperwork, bro. It blows yeah. my mind. Like I was, I was reading about yeah. it yesterday and it just, just, you just dropped my mind. I was like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. And, and it's silly really, because the thing is I'm born here. I'm fucking born here. I've got a birth certificate born in <laughs> Hammersmith hospital on the 20th of December, 1985. So just give me the passport. Why do I need my mum? Why do I need my dad? And and that really, really fucking wound me up because at the time I started to get a bit of gigs. Like I'd always like, I, I hardly had any jobs outside of music. I, I either always worked in record shops, you know, release the groove, uptime records. I ended up working at black market records, did rhythm division, um, you know, and face the music as well. So I worked in like record shops or by the time I started earning money, I was DJing and getting paid quite handsomely so I, it wasn't a money thing or nothing it was just fucking politics but yeah I mean it, it still hurts me to this day that I never got to cement my place like the other boys and everyone else and be part of that kind of a team if you want to call it that because I was a part of that scene from day one and and to kind of not stamp myself in the international scene I, I do think it kind of hindered my career to some degree but you know, I'm not just a one trick pony. Like I'm, I'm not just a producer. Like, you know, I'm a DJ. I was always involved in, in broadcasting and stuff like that. And that's the thing when I was getting to the, uh, towards the end of um, my rinse of femme career, I was still touring heavily and I've got two kids. So my son, when he was born, I did 26 shows in one month and that was just, Jesus. yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. It was a lot of fun, but what were you it hitting was, up? Were you hitting up like uni tours and stuff like that? Yeah, I was doing yeah. like a lot of universities and like just basically all the top clubs, like doing like places. Oh, so like many people got caked from uni tours, bro. Yeah, it was, you know <laughs> what? I wasn't getting super, super, super paid, like, sorry to say, like that screaming banger money. <laughs> but even what I was getting paid, mate, I didn't have to work. Like I was all looking to buy a house and everything, you know what mm. I'm saying? But it, it was good. But I, I, again, didn't know how to spend money properly. I just had two children. I was like 23, 24 at the time. And I was just taking each day as it come. But then I'd just come off part, uh, come off um, Rinse FM at the time. And I did shows on Kiss and I did shows on Radio 1. And that was like the pinnacle for me because I was like, wow. Like, you know, Marianne Hobbs, you know, Hatcher had a show. He he left Rinse FM to go and kiss 100. So that was a big thing for us as well. It's always like a proud moment, even though you're, you're a pirate always and forever. But to see people transition onto legal radio and play that music that come from that was, was a big thing. But again, I, I did like the, the, the legal radio shows and it was great brilliant but again it just didn't feel the same and yeah. I was living in Windsor and I was like oh I've got nowhere to go and I think because I was in Windsor there was 875 and they they changed from Trilogy to something else I can't remember what they was were it, called was it UK's finest was that what yeah they, they that's the UK's yeah. finest and I was listening to them and I was thinking mm, should I get in touch and whatnot and then again on the forums now and then I hear I see you know like I heard this talk about flexes coming back on 
And I was like, rah. I was like, okay. I'm bearing in mind, I sent about five tapes to Flex FM when I was like <laughs> 12, 13 years old and they ignored every single one of them. And I could mix, by the way, <laughs> back, back then, but I got ignored. But I heard about that and I thought, rah, you know what? My resume in Pirate Radio, I said, okay, I want to see how this one goes. But people was like, Slating it like on the forum yeah. saying, nah. so, Yeah, me and Dan were talking about there were people, yeah, just, oh, it will last a week, it will last a week, blah blah blah. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah, they were they, they were they were slating it like, uh, but I just had like a kind of a good feeling about it. And again, I was living in Windsor, and how I just got excited about it, I, I was on the train and I was just about to get on the train. And see me, I'm you know, I, I don't know if you do this, but you know, like when you go past the block and you're always looking to all see if there's air up there, the yeah, all the time. Like with me, like sometimes I'll be like, you know, that's probably why she left me, but always scanning the dial. Henny, Malcolm, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just scanning the dial, like, <laughs> like on my phone all the time. So I was always like scanning the dial. And I remember I picked it up on 94.2 in Windsor. I was like, rah. I was like, okay. It was a little bit like the signal weren't that great, but I could get it. And I was intrigued. So I was like, rah, okay. Gone into London now and I've heard it, Chris. And I've listened to it um, like a few times. And then basically, um, like Windsor is like a really condensed area for like London signals coming in, like pirate yeah. stations. But where I lived, I, luckily I was man I managed to get like, like a window of signals coming in. And I got it like really clear. And I was like, RDS come up, everything. And I was like, wow, okay. Listening to it, listening to it. But it was funny enough, when they came on in 2009, they were only weekends. When they yeah. first come on 942, I remember it very well. So I just um, messaged them. And I, do you know what? It's the only time would you believe it. So this is after being on Rinse, after doing React, playing on Freeze, playing on, I played on Delap. I played on every station you could imagine as a, as a DJ. I'd never, ever, ever, apart from the times that I got ignored by Flex long before I, I should have even been playing on there. But it was the first time that I sent in like a, it's like a fucking CV and I, I proper wrote a proper professional email saying, this is who I am and all that. And then, yeah, I got a message back from, um, I think it was a uh, pure sex, or also known as Martin Flex. And then um, a guy called Twiz, he phoned me up saying, yeah, you know, we want you to come down on this Friday. And funny enough, would you believe it? It's so strange. The very first show that I did on Flex FM on the same night, I had a booking in Epsom, which where their studio was, it yeah. happened to be just down the, down the corner. And there was a guy called Units who was actually on Dub Police recordings. He was like one of their artists. And he was young at the time. He was like, what, 17, 18? I was already in my 20s. He was young. And it was him and a guy called Benton. I don't know if you heard of a guy called Benton. He's like, yeah, he's quite popular. He knows like uh, uh, the guys from like Kingston, like the, the people just do nothing boys and all that. Yeah, yeah. But they, they um, was it called Boogie Lounge in Epsom? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and they had a, they had a, one, of the, first, I one of the first clubs I ever played at as well myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was on tour, but that was like one of like the quieter gigs that I'd done, but I thought it was great. I was like, how fucking weird is that? I'd never played in that area. And first show on Flex and then done the show at Flex. And it was like, and it was a weird one. It was like an hour and a half show. And it was like, I think, I don't know, like 10.30 to 12, something like that. And then I was playing at like one o'clock. So did that. And I, I don't know, something connected with me. And I still, I really wanted to be on Rinse FM, but I just knew that it was the end of the road for me because a lot of people, Rinse FM was like really brutal. There was this like destroying yeah. rebuild thing kind of going on. I, I was chopped even before that destroying rebuild shit coming. I was just not 
I just didn't manage my shit properly. I, like my punctuality was bad and I had just had too much going on at the time. But I just knew when I got on Flex, I was like, okay, you know what? The rinse of thing thing's done here. If this station stays on, this is another opportunity for me to be a part of something. I just had a good feeling. And then, yeah, came down, done a few shows and whatnot. But again, me being the guy that I am, you know, I, when I first met Outlaw, so the first time I met Outlaw, he's coming to the studio. Now, you got to bear in mind, yeah, I know Outlaw as someone who I've taped his shows yep. since the late 90s. I've seen him on the forums for all the years. And then one time I'm playing on Flex and then he's seen me. I've looked at him. We've given each other like, well, I gave him a where he looked for at least maybe half a second, but it was love straight away. And it was just because he knew who I was. I knew who he was because of the pipe radio scene. So that was that. But I was, you know, speaking to him, speaking to Martin Flex long before I spoke to Carlos and I just kind of showed an interest. I was like, yeah, you know, I used to do the station in West back in the-. and they were like, yeah, 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 we know. Anyways, I said that I could help them in, in certain ways and I think I kind of longed them off, but they knew I had the knowledge and yeah. I had the hunger and desire to get involved. And before you knew it, I kind of was uh, like working with the, the management. So it was around 2010 when I got involved and then, you know, obviously by then I started speaking to Carlos, but then there was a lot of changes at Flex, like Martin Flex came in, but then Martin Flex, like he kind of sold his share and he was like, right, I'm gone. And then he split. And then even, I, I'm not even too sure if Outlaw mentioned this, but Outlaw actually split from the station in the early days. So he split as well. So it was just Carlos. And then Carlos had a few other people um, involved in the station at the time, but me and him kind of like developed a relationship. And I was like, you know, saying to him, look, I've got loads of DJs that I can get on the station. You know, I think we should get grammar. I, I was just passionate. Now, during these times now, the station's on. It's always on. You know, a rig will go off. Then, man, like, this is even before I'd even been to a roof with any of them lot. And I noticed, like, I think once they sorted out their shit, from 942, because that's it. They they had issues with their frequency. And I kept saying to them, I was like, mate, I used to use 997 back in the day and there's some shit station on there. It's been fucking on for ages and I've not heard one person like speak. I was like, try a ting. Anyways, that man knew what they was doing and you know, one thing led to another. That station was off and Flex was just on solid on 997. And it, literally from there, you know, like, you know, like Freezer Femme, Freezer Femme was like always on. Everyone yeah. talks about how. Listen, Flex was the modern version of that because from 2010, even before that, 2009, but yeah, 2010 onwards to 2017, I can count on one hand how many days that station was off for. And the great thing about Flex is that Rinse FM had just gone legal. They just got a license. And I'd always kind of thought, you know what? That should be our competition. Not all the other pirate stations around us. I always had it. I don't know how Carlos was thinking. I would always tell him what I was thinking, but Carl's his own person, just like Outlaw's his own person. But in my head, I was like, right, you know what? We should be challenging these guys. And then before you knew it, I had a lot of people that wasn't necessarily on rinse. And I was recruiting like, you know, DJ Frampstone, who's uh NAA's DJ, Big Nasty's DJ. I got, he was like the first grand DJ I got to come and play on the station and, you know, um, you know, we started introducing grime and then I noticed like house music had like all these other subgenres, like, you know, that M Mark Bradford kind of yeah. kind of sound, like there was a lot of people like that that was coming through on, on, on the radio. 
Um, and I just thought, well, you know what? Instead of just getting just DJs like, no disrespect, but you're bobbing your Dave. Yeah. I was on this because I was always good at A&R. So I was like, no, nah, let's get like producers on the station. So if you was listening to Flex at that time and you was hearing these, it, it, uh, uh, 95% of it was all me. So even though I was doing my own show on the station, but, you know, Carlos kind of gave me the reins to kind of just go ahead and just like find DJs or even if he found them or someone else would find them, it would always be me that would like kind of organize it all and put it through. But a lot of um, like the media work behind the scenes. So I, again, I don't know if you can remember, but like the Facebook presence from when it, when it was a pirate, it was me in my house by myself building that up. So Pura Sex was the guy for that originally. He was like the man, but he had left the station and there wasn't really anyone on the station that was willing to do it. So I kind of just took advantage of it and I'd be in my in my living room at home all day, every day. You know, we had the technology of where, let's just say, no one's not around. I could log in from my house and control the autopilot if no one was on. Yeah. So we had that unlocked. So we had basically we just kind of built up a team and there was like in the end I, I don't know there was like you know there was Carl you know Dan eventually came back in Max came in at, at some point um you know Becky came in uh there was a Shinobi who eventually came in there was myself like we was like the, the the main lot there was a few others lurking around that was helping on the sides on the roof and stuff but what was so great about Flex at that time is that we started to run it as a business as well it was treated like very 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 seriously you know if you're not paying your subs you're off you know what i mean because and it was the first time i'd actually been involved in the station in terms of being heavily involved and seeing how things how they should run and it was almost like fucking hell why didn't i do this when i was at react but again <laughs> but again you know when there's money around the station it's easier to maintain and be, you know, consistent. So, the so other yeah. thing as well is a lot of people there that you mentioned, like Dan in particular and a couple of others, like they were doing that game from a long time. Like, yeah, they, they were doing that game before you even started React and they were still doing 100%. it all them years later. So they yeah. are in it. Like there's a couple of things you need to know for radio. It's not just the technical side of setting up because that's something you can learn. I mean, you can master it. Like certain people have mastered it over the years. Kanga, Pyro, Outlaw, Slimzy, like they're, they're, they're the names. Like they're, they're the guys that are like the, the top, top boys, at like knowing how exactly to link. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've also got to have someone with a bit of dough, like Ricky was saying, like Tony McMahon came in, partnered up with him for a couple of grand at just like a bottomless pit of rigs. You've also got to have people that have got the time to dedicate to keeping it on air and, and the nutters that are happy to sit outside the block uh, or go straight to the block when something gets switched you know like you, there's there's Absolutely, a few yeah. elements to, to, to keeping it on obviously like with it being legal now a lot of that goes out the window you don't even need the majority of it do you know what i mean yeah of course yeah yeah exactly but but yeah no one's no, no, no one's really gonna obviously ofcom's not gonna trouble you but yeah no, no one else is gonna really try and clap a legal station do you know yeah no nah, you, you gotta be a madman to fucking do that even though i know some people that would probably do it but that's another <laughs> that's another story for another day but but yeah man i gotta say like you know the you know between 2010 and 2017 you know it was some tough times like for me personally but it was like flex was like it, it it was not only just an escape for me but it was like another challenge yeah. to be a part of it but i was so determined because 
even though, okay, yeah, as a DJ, I made a name for myself on Rinse, but I still felt like I failed because I didn't last on the station that long. It, they they did launch my career, you know, um, catapulted me onto this another level, which I will always be grateful to Rinse for. And I will always be associated with that station for that time. But, you know, um, you know, it didn't really work out for me the way I wanted it to. And, you know, by that time, I totally moved out the area. I was living away from Hammersmith and Shepherd's Bush. And I was in Windsor, I had kids. I had no intentions of doing any type of radio at that point. So to be a part of Flex and they had their thing popping and it was a childhood station that I grew up to and they've like resurrected it. I thought, rah, this, this, this has to be the thing. And it turned out to be that way. And it just became like a really, you know, um, like an amazing team effort. I mean, don't get me wrong. We are individuals and there was times like where people were thinking completely differently to each other. But my aim was to just make the station sit next to, you know, say like a station like Rinse at the time where it's like, Rob, we've got producers on the station. We've got top promoters on the station. And there was that one point where you could look at the timetable on Flex and it was like, on every day, there's at least, you know, a good few people that was like, you know, don't get me wrong, everyone's contributed to the station, but every day there's like two to three people on there where they're like, they're certified. And I just felt that was an amazing thing, purely for the simple fact that I I actually thought Pirate Radio was actually starting to, to die out. Then that's yeah. what I started to tell myself. But then I was like, actually, there isn't, because there's DJs that are still coming out of the woodworks and people like, like the amount of people that wanted to get on Flex was like, Unreal. You know, we did a few parties um, that I was involved in only as a DJ. You know, I, rem I remember actually when um, Dan was still involved and Carlos and I think Scott Garcia, they done, I think so, I could be wrong. So please don't get at me if I get this wrong, but they done a dance when the World Cup started in 2010 at Hidden. Oh my God, fucking roadblock. The station had only been on for a few months. Yep. So again, that just indicated to me, I was like, fuck, there's like, there's still people out here, you know, a few other parties um, that that were, I mean, Flex, I always pushed for Flex to do parties. Again, Rince was always doing parties. Yeah. And I was like, mate, we've got the talent to do it. Let's do it. Well, we also, also, it's another string of the bow of branding, right? So what we were yeah. talking about with Rince is yeah. you had the Rince events, everyone recognised the logo, like even though you've got that Flex logo, you know, like you brand it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. And, and yeah. Thing. Yeah, and we really tried. We uh, we really did try to brand the station as as much as we could, um, in our own way, and we just you know kind of utilized what we had. And I, again, like you know, using the social media as our as our presence to do that, I think helped in 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 a big way. But again, you know, I really wanted to do a lot more parties, but there was one party in particular. I think it was in two thousand and eleven or twelve. And they worked in um, we worked in conjunction with um, Heritage and Multiply. Um, and found and and these guys were like working with like the people that who now do boiler room and all these things, mm. but um, they again did the party at um, hidden. But I think did it become something else? I can't remember. But anyways, EZ was the headliner that night. Uh, Moscow um, was there. There was DJ Narrows there. Um, they booked me to play. Um, it was like a, a, a RIP Groove was there as well. Double ninety nine. Um, they were there. And what was great about that lineup is because it was like, again, kind of showing that, you know, we are about the underground and we're like kind of being across the board again, similar to Rinse, but doing it in our way. Yeah. 
And that night, it, I think it got mentioned in the newspapers as well, like in the Metro or, or Time Out or something like that. So it was a big thing. And we was like promoting it online and there was a lot of talk about it and stuff like that. And got there and it was a fucking roadblock again. It was unfucking real Like one of the best things that I'd seen. And I was so proud to see that be attached to Flex. Do you know what I mean? But we didn't really do that many parties after that. And that was like one of, you know, my, you know, my frustrations with the station because I kept saying to Carlos that I really, really believed in the talent that we had. You know, it's all good, like we're on air and we're broadcasting and we're doing all these great shows, but we can do more. But, you know, having said that, it is what it is. But I feel like the, the social media presence, the way how the station was run, by a team of people like it was because usually it's like Ricky D saying he he goes up on the block and sets up on the station by himself you know what I mean sometimes that would happen sometimes Carl would go up the block and you know by himself sometimes I even had to do it by myself to you know fix the link because it went off and whatnot but as a team as a radio station we built it up from like it being three people back down to two back down to one then up to three then four five then it was like almost 10 of us and I think it's because of that why the station started to run very well. If the station went off, listen, no matter what, it was back on. Even that point, what Outlaw was talking about when Ofcom fucking almost killed us and we was down to the last, oh, that was horrible. That was absolutely fucking horrible. But we won that battle. These times now we was doing documentaries. We did the documentary with, um, you know, Channel 4. And this is where I started to kind of build my love for filmmaking. Because even when we was, I was happy to be on the documentary, but I was all asking questions. Oh, so what's that for? Oh, that's the floor manager. Oh, what's this for? Because I've always been into film. So it was good that we done, you know, the documentaries. That helped us. A lot of a lot of people would say, oh, that work, that that would work against us. But again, if Ofcom hit us, yeah, so what? We're back on. Like we was just organized, you know what I mean? Like the money that was made from the station in terms of the subs and everything, it was always going back into the radio. So that that is purely the simple method as to why the station lasted, lasted. But I think a few people started to tell me around the 2014 period, I remember it, 15 period. And there was the talk of like legal. Now I'm not going to lie. At first I was like, whatever, because I was like, nah, man, we're on air. We're, we're free to do what, no rules. But, you know, we got a big signal, you know, we were either transmitting from Crystal Palace or somewhere in Wandsworth. Anytime we went to Southfields, that shit fucking came off straight away. <laughs> so we so we always just had to make use of like some of the blocks, like, you know, the boys, they would always find somewhere else in like Battersea or Mitchum. Like they, they, that's another thing. Them guys were, I have to say, even though everyone's kind of gone their separate ways and I'm, you know, not doing flex today, but I see Outlaw and, and Carlos, them, them guys, when it comes to like, and Andy Mills as well, them guys, when it comes to like blocks and knowing where to transmit from in the most fucked up circumstances, <laughs> I learned some shit. I thought I knew radio when I got there. Yep. And I was like, nah, these guys are on, on another level. So it was almost like, wasn't really me too much. Sometimes it was, but it wasn't really me too much. I had ideas and they would listen because I was more dealing with the A&R and the media side. But having my brain together, having Outlaw's brain and Carlos's brain, you know, um, at Andy Mills, like all of those brains put together and everyone deep down inside loves 
radio lo- loves the way how it works wants to make the best aerials to transmit the best you know me and outlaw the only time we was at log- loggerheads we would fucking have arguments on the phone i hope you don't mind me saying this dan but we would have arguments about how the radio should sound and we would like one day we'd log in and we had this thing called stereo tool so you could like yeah. use different set one day one setting would be on i'll go to sleep wake up and then it's his setting. so that's how passionate <laughs> we are because you know he's he had his way of like hearing things and i had my way of hearing things and you know even talking about it, I, I do smile because it just shows that we really did care about the transmission of that station and it was basically a mutation of all of us coming together and then when becky came about she was an extra pair of hands to, to help and contribute to things without having to get involved in the tower blocks and stuff like that. And then, you know, the same with Max Britton, very intelligent guy. And then that's kind of when Carl, you know, you know, we spent like years being on the phone for an hour, two hours every day talking. And there was a few ideas going around and stuff like that. I mean, I could go on forever, but that was where the talk of, you know, where the license was was, was coming about. Because people were like, rah, you lot are just on all the time. You look like rinse is legal now. So rinse, people always kind of half separate rinse because they knew they were legal. It wasn't a pirate no more, even though it was still pirate style and had a pirate mentality to it, even as, as professional they are in, in other aspects. But, um, you know, people was like, like Flight FM had come back on at the time. So, you know, I, I remember they were off for ages and then they all of a sudden came back on. So, you know. Yeah, I, I was I was there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I, you know what? Truth be told, straight up, like when they came on, it was like, nah, we got to, like, you know, we got to be better than them. We got to have the best DJs. We got to be we, straight up. Like we was, we were saying that. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you, but I love the competition. I absolutely thrived off the competition in a positive way because it kept you on your toes. If you're doing a radio station, if you're running it, you want it to be the best that it can be purely for the listeners. So the listeners can experience it in the best way possible. So, you know, that, that shit was important to us, man. Yeah, for sure. So obviously you were around, you, you were still on there when it went legal, right? Yes, 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 yes. I was, I was, I was, I said the, I said the first words when it went legal. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I said the first words. Um, I was, um, obviously I was talking to Dan about it. I was talking about the procedure and obviously he said, you know, Max had a big part of it and I've read the the Ofcom application. I've, I've looked at the transmission map and all that, like like inside out radio anorak anyway. Um, you know, your, your experience with it going legal, what, what were your thoughts? What were your initial thoughts when you guys actually got, the license was it oh my god oh because dan said it was back like to the day. dan said it was like a celebration for him for like a minute and then it was like mm. it's slightly different i hung i hung on to it a lot longer than dan although i will say when it did go legal and i'll get into it now in a bit um i, I was just going through some mad personal shit at the same time and 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 there was a lot of things i wasn't happy with internally with with the station as well if i'm really honest but if if I can take it back to the license application, so so you know, Carlos, like we would like have meetings, like every year, you know, Carlos would be like, right, let's get together, and he would do like a like a Christmas dinner um, in some uh, restaurant in um, in Wimbledon, and and it was always around my birthday, so we'd celebrate my birthday and stuff, and it was nice, like you know, money would get spent, you know, would would always like be ambitious, everyone's like all hungry to do better for the station. Again, even though everyone, like, don't get me wrong, I would say like 40, 50%, everybody was on the same page. But then deep down inside, everyone, you know, the other 50% for each person, everyone had like their own thing. But 
it was because it was flex. That's like kind of that's what kind of kept us going. And at first, when the legal thing got mentioned, I was like, hmm. Nah, I, I, not that I was like, nah, never like not at all. But I, I was, I was so comfortable with it being a pirate. I was just like, fuck the, the license. But I started thinking to myself, I was like, nah, actually, we're all professionals. We will make money, or some of us make money through music. You know, Rinse FM's achieved it. Nah, but I, no, actually, no, we can. And I believed it when it was said to me. I believed it, and I was like, do you know what? Yeah. And that pushed me even more to, again, get some of the best DJs on the station, all different genres across, you know, wide range, you know, getting, you know, you know, more presented like people on, on, on the station, even though the music is still underground, you could say, yeah. at the time. And when Max was, you know, Max was kind of in and out of running the station, but the one thing that he concentrated on was the last, the very early stages of the of the license application. And I would, I was always on the phone talking to Max about it, always on the phone talking to Carlos about it. But I ultimately didn't have. In fact, the only time I got involved in the license application was fucking days before it went in because I had to type some stuff and put some information that I've accumulated over the years at the very, very last moment. But I'm not going to, you know, put any claim to being a part of the license. It's weird because I was running the station. I was running the station at the time. But in terms of the application, that was um, Carlos and, and, and Max. And Max was the one that really and truly got the ball rolling with that, you know, without Max, I don't know if that would have happened, but I think a third party came in into that situation. Yeah, Dan, Dan was saying there was like another yeah. sort of production type yeah. third party people yeah, coming yeah, in. Yeah, 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 come in and, and yeah. nice that up. And, and you know what, I compared it to Rinse of Femme's application and even like, you know, the stuff that, you know, Flex um, asked for on the station, I was like, bruh, if we get this, we are bubbling. I just thought, what I said, and I remember looking at it, like we was all, because these times now, you know, we was all looking at the application and I was just thinking, yeah, this is proper. Like just reading every single point, just thinking, nah, we're going to get it. And I'm, you see me, I'm a man that goes with my gut and I knew we was going to get the license. I I just knew it, that the, the application was just too good for it not to get accepted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then again, the only, you know, the odds were low in some aspects. So it's like Rinse are the only station to do it in the time since KISS. And KISS was back in 1990, you know, 89, 1990. So the day when, you know, these times now I was running the station, but I was kind of in and out of running the station because, again, I was going through like some personal stuff. But I was, it was the first time I actually I like had a job working outside of music because the gigs and the bookings and everything like calmed down a lot so I was working as a sports coach mentor in a, in a non-commercial school you know like for for kids kicked out of like commercial school and I just remember <laughs> like I think it was the day of um the GCSEs um starting in in the school and everyone started the exam so you had to like be quiet around the school like gosh you can't say anything test all this kind of stuff and I've my phone's just going mm. Mm, and it would not stop. And I didn't even think anything of it. And I just remember pulling out my phone and I've looked and I wasn't even allowed to pull out my phone. We've won the license. I literally had an, like, <laughs> I, I was like, I started shaking and everything. Like, you wanted to do what you'd done 
when you got the Rinse FM show and you ran outside your house. Yeah, cheering. yeah, yeah. But I couldn't. I couldn't this time. I couldn't. And I literally I started shaking at every because I've got to say, there was a togetherness at that time. I think it, it, you know, even thinking about it as I'm going through it, that was probably the most together we all was as a station at that point in time, at least in my mind, anyways. And we all had like this hope of like, we just believed that we was going to get this license. And we just tried so hard to, and you know, it was a beautiful thing as 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 we approached um, the, the license because we was transmitting the very last, so the very last time we was transmitting, we was in Crystal Palace. We was in a really good site in Crystal Palace. So the signal on 997 was actually really, really good at that time. And it reminded me of Rinse FM because Rinse had like a big signal like their signal was getting, I remember I was picking that shit up all the way to Windsor. Like, and they were transmitting from um, Wapping in East London. I, I, I swear someone told me they had like a 500 watts. They, Ritz was taking a piss at the time. I wouldn't be surprised. They, that was when they had, um, I think- There was on 100.4. Yeah, I think it's called Shearsmith House. It's the ones, um, there's, uh, do you know what? It's funny, I was up that way the other day and there's one coming off of the smaller block there, but anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, but that, that was when they had the, the block share with Cool and they had the famous- Yeah, like the H, that, yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. Yeah, because so, I was on, they had that for years, from, like from for that years. Block, that block's like 32 stories, something like that. It's a it's, fucking, it's a fucking it's a monster, bruv. Yeah. But the thing is, when I was on there, I, I was like still playing on, on when I was playing on Rinse I, um, towards the end um, of my career, I was living in Windsor. And I always knew there was some point on the M4 where the signal would just, it would just disappear. <laughs> but around, when Rinse won their license, Bruv, mate, that, that, I, someone even said to me, I was like, I kept asking around, I was like, that is not a 300 watt ring. I said, that's got to be a 500 because the signal was just a joke. You know, Anyways, you, know where they, you know where they were coming from when they had the license though, right? It was what, yeah, the whopping block. We, we call was, it uh, the whopping block, moved, you talking they, about they, rinse. They moved over to um, Meiju House, which is over the other side of the river. Oh, is that where they so, were? Yeah, so you, I think oh, it's- I thought um, it was on whopping at the nah, time. So that was where they were when oh. they were pirate. And they got a license to be on Meiju House and they had, um, it was like a double step, but it was one of the ones that's like kind of tilted and- Well, are you like talking about rip. when they went legal? Yeah. Oh no, oh yeah, in Southwark, in yeah, Southwark. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, do you know what? I went past it on the train the other day. I think they're doing, yeah, yeah, I know that yeah. block. I it's thought like, you were talking like about- It's like Deptford kind of way, that sort of bit. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they're, um, they're coming from um, from Angel now. Angel. Road. Is it Angel? Because yeah. the last time I, I saw it was in Old Street. Yeah, they're just, it was if, in you Old go, Street. if you go from Old Street all the way up City Road, about three quarters of the way up, there's a block there called Peregrine House. It's about 26, 27 floors. I've been on top of it. Do you know what? It's the best. Well, do you know what? It, that explains because that's the it's the best they've sounded in West since. Because yeah. I knew they changed because they actually was a little period. They, it, it went off for a little yeah, while, didn't because it? Because that major house, they, yeah, they, they right. gutted yeah, it. it. They completely gutted it out, that, that, that block. So. Yeah, it but Peregrine, Peregrine House is massive. As I say, I, I was up on top of it years ago. Not, ah, not, that's where they are. Okay. Not for radio. Um, Basically, just some girl that we knew from, from the manor because I lived in Islington for a bit. And some girl that we knew there she um she lived on the 24th floor so obviously me being me i just i wanted to be Fucking on the roof, out, 24th floor <laughs> Fucking out. So, but the thing is it's, it's a massive it's like quite a wide block as well it's a big old fucking building um but me and this geezer i won't say his name but he was um he was, he was, he was a naughty bastard basically he's um oh well i won't i, can't, I won't say his name but i'll tell you what he done because he's living in like hawaii now but um <laughs> he used to he used to be in one of them crews around is and that would jump on mopeds and go and do like the watch shops and things like that so oh, they'd, shit. They'd, they'd pop the alarm on the front and then like they'd smash the window underneath get in and do all the one like basically another crew from around that area 
where they tried to do, it's a famous story, they tried to do Tiffany's in Sloan Square and um, two of the boys got knocked off of their bikes. One of them died, got knocked off by the Ooh. old bill. Um, and the, the, they managed to get into Tiffany's by putting a battering ram on the front of a Range Rover and going through the door. Um, but they, he was all involved in that shit anyway. But he, he always had like the keys and various lockpicks and everything else. So we went straight up on the top of the fucking Peregrine House, bro. But there's like a police transmitter up there and everything, bro. It's like, it's a massive, massive building. But Mental. Yeah, that's that's Mental. where they are now. But yeah, when they went... Okay, there, yeah, no, I, you know, I think you're right. Because one of my boys told me last year that they were coming from Angel actually thinking about it. But yeah. I knew there was an old street before. And they were, I think actually I was still at Flex at the time when they actually went off and we was like, right, what's going on here? Why, yeah. why are they off? But the, we kind of gathered that there was in the process of moving, but just, you know, go, kind of going back to what I was saying, when Rince won, the day that they found that they won their license, like their signal was just a joke, like on the pirate. And I remember, <laughs> I remember that, cause you know what, do you know the day that they won their license on Rince? I was on Flex, but up until I've done a guest mix on Rince for the first time since I last was on Rince, so I was I did a guest mix for Rince uh, back in March I think it was like I did the garage hour I yeah. did the garage hour I did that um, and and that was the first time I played on there but before that the last time I played on Rince was the day before they won their license but I was <laughs> but I was on flex but I didn't have a show on there I was going on with like my like the crew at the time it was weird because they weren't my crew but we were still playing together it was weird but um and DJ Flight come came up afterwards came up um afterwards and you know we were chatting and stuff like that and then I remember my boy G Double he must have um sent me a text saying yeah Rince won a license and I was like oh shit so when flex was approaching their license and you know we was on like a on on a on a really you know legendary iconic area big signal it was it was like you know the grand finale of pirate rage and then yeah. when i found out we won that license oh my i, I, I cried i actually cried because for me i just never thought i was going to be a part of a station let alone witnessing what rinse did because as kids like we saw kiss do that do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, even now, I still can't fight. Like, what the fuck? But do you know what? There's there's some interesting stuff that comes into play. And I just kind of feel like with Ofcom, there's many reasons they could have given it to us. I don't know. They could have given it to us because they saw that we was a well-run station. They could have given it to us because we just was not giving up. Every time they tried to take us off, we was just fuckers. We just kept coming back on. And I just think they just knew, obviously going through what they went through with Rinse, they, I feel like they detected like a similar kind of aura about us where it was like, you know what? These people are serious about what they do and, and they've come correct with their application. Just give it to them. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, on the day, it was, it was a beautiful day. I remember finishing work and I, I was just anxious, not anxious because I was scared, but just like, I was just overwhelmed if if I could explain like the emotion and it was it was a very emotional day but yeah I think there's 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 definitely some truth to what Atlas says where you know things did start to change because I remember the following Monday and I went to see Carlos I went to his house and it was just me and him and he already had a plan of like how you know he wanted to do certain things for the station and and straight away I was just like I was I was excited I was ready for the challenge ready to be involved in it and stuff like that and you know contribute and kind of give like my heart to the station in any way I can to move it forward but the difference was is that when when I was running the station you know Carlos was like you know the main guy but not a lot of people knew that as soon as it went legal you know he was he, he it's like everyone knew it was caught and, and you see it on the application do you know what I mean I'm fair play because obviously if you're if you're someone who's 
running a station, like, even though like, back in the day, everyone would be like, yeah, big up Genius, big up Slimzy, but it was different. I don't know. It's like people people felt like they could get away with it because they were music men. They would like, you know, had record label this and that and whatnot. But some people were just smart and just be like, you know what? Don't really mention my name and associate me with that. But when it's legal, it's different. So Carl, you know, came out the woodworks and, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do with the station. You know, he wanted to rebrand it um, slightly, which I assisted him with, like, like kind of like, you know, there was a, a lot of like, detailed effort in like if you look at the the pirate logo to flex as to the legal one yeah. it's different but it's not that much different if you if you can see it's just like a bit of an update and you know eventually we got the the premises um where they are now and got the office and then yeah we just kind of got in the office and just started working away um just you know rebranding the station but you know there was just certain things that I was just experiencing at the time when I was on there and I could tell that I was like, right, this is just going to be a bit of a different experience. But it was always a dream for me to be a part of something that progressed. Yeah. And the fact that I had that opportunity to be a part of that, like for me, a lot of people do know me as the producer and whatnot. But you see me, I, I take broadcasting very seriously. Like anyone that's listened to my radio shows in the past my dream was to have like a flag, uh, a flagship show and to host and present a show and have guests. And, but it's just that that opportunity came for me at the fucking wrong time, man. And, and mentally for me as well, I was just not in the right place. And I've got to be honest with you, like my first few months being on Flex was, was a disaster, you know, personally for me. Um, plus as well, there were certain things that happened on the station that I wasn't happy with. And I'll say it straight, you know, I, I, I wasn't happy with a few people um, on the station and I called them out. So I left, I said, you lot can go fuck yourselves. And it's because I felt hurt because I literally, I was just like in a very, and I'm gonna be very open, um, uh, very open here, but I was in a very vulnerable situation and I kind of felt like people was taking the piss out of me. And I thought, are you, you for real? Do not take my kindness for weakness. Now, I don't know if it was ego. I don't know if it was, bullying I don't know I don't know what it was but I just felt like people was taking the piss and for me I just lost my mind and it was a mixture of that stuff and my personal life coming there's nothing worse than going to work and your personal life being shit on both ends yeah. and that had a profound effect on on my mental health and also, I'm quite also, an open I mean, person you, you have know? to look at it like this and I've been quite open on this about this stuff on other episodes but like for me I'm very similar to what you were saying radio was always my dream always that's why I'm such an anorak for it that's why I love it that's yeah. why it's such a big part of this podcast that's why I'm looking to do more work with you know the other things that you've got going on me and Dan have spoken about blah 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 but mm -hmm. like when when radio stopped becoming fun for me like I stopped doing it do you know what I mean and when music in general stopped becoming fun for me so like I was running a label with my boy and we were putting out really good music, couple of bits getting played on Kiss, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, this is really good. I was playing on Represent every Saturday night. I was doing legal radio, guests up, interviews, everything else. I was I was never Mark Radford, but anyone... Doesn't matter, though. Doesn't any, matter. You any, still anyone who listens to that music on a Saturday night, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, they listen to me, whether I was on flight, they listen to me, and then they listen to Mark, because he was on after me, or... They listen, he was on after me on Rinse, sorry. Um, or they listened to me on Represent 7 till 9. And then they listened to Mark 9 to 11. Do you know what I mean? So it was always like, I always kind of knew I was there or thereabouts. And everyone within the industry, like people, like even certain names that have been on a podcast and that would listen to me and they would say, listen, from 2013 to 2015, when it came to house, 
there wasn't anyone better on radio like than me. And I was like, cool. That's 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 where I was at with it. But when it came down to it becoming a chore, and no matter how good the show was, no matter how busy the phone was, no matter what bookings I had going on, if it felt wrong, then I had to bounce. I was for the same thing. Like I just I just couldn't cope with that. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't necessarily, and the thing is, is even in that time, like, I've gone through some bullshit in my life, but even during that time, my life wasn't even that bad, but I didn't want to get into a position where it was again. Yeah, like, yeah, when exactly. Because you learn, because you learn, isn't it? When you get exactly. older, you think to yourself, nah, man, I'm I'm not like like going through all that shit nah. again. And it's, 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 it's exactly, you know, if I could add on to what you're saying, it's like, I was having stuff away from radio that I was, and shit that I was going through, which, you know, the flex lot knew about, and they knew that. And then yet, the same type of behavior was happening that like to and I'm thinking nah. And as far as I'm concerned, my intentions was always pure. Yeah. You know, I, I literally forgot about my fucking self and put that station first. So that's why I was just like, fuck this. And I lost my fucking mind. And you know, I called the station out, called you know, certain people out, which it's never a nice thing doing that. I didn't want to do that. I remember I seeing like that... at the time was really interesting. I think it's probably a couple of years ago that we were talking about, but I remember a friend of mine who I think you know, um, but we'll talk about him after. Off air. Yeah. Um, he sent a screenshot to a WhatsApp group that I'm in, and it was just like, he was like, Rod, like, Henny's like put this thing on Facebook. He's like, it's, yeah, this is this, yeah, this is it. Saying, like, this it's, is it. It's really out of character. And he was like, yeah, a couple of us had sort of been discussing that. Um, and again, I'll mention the names afterwards and you'll understand why, but mm. a couple of people would sort of be saying, oh, it's kind of falling off and they're doing this and they're doing it. Like, it's not, it's not really going where it should go. And, you know, people were going to say that anyway. Yeah, people are naturally going to say that stuff Even if anyways, it was yeah. fucking booming and you had the next... <laughs> yeah, you know they're going mean? to say that. <laughs> Listen, before it even turned on, people was like writing off, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what's wrong with people? Give yeah. it a fucking chance. That's, that's the UK, I mean? isn't it? The UK loves yeah. to fucking shit on people before they've even blown up. So, um, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, when they yeah. have blown up, and it, I always knew he was going to make it. You know them dickheads? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, literally literally but yeah so this person he said the screenshot he's like right that's really out of character for him like that's like that's sort of a sign of where things are going and then they were just like, oh and i heard i heard this person's left and that person's left and then i've got yeah. other mates i've got mates that were on there and they were just like yeah and nah, i just yeah, yeah i mean you know if i can add to that i mean okay about that status basically um i basically had a nervous breakdown and my mum was very sick in hospital at the time. And my mum's like been sick in, uh, like she's been sick for years. I'm very lucky to have my mum still to this day. She's 71 years old and she's one of the strongest people I know. And, you know, she's she's put me through hell and I suppose I put her through hell to some extent, but, you know, life is life and you learn things. Um, but she's my mum and I love her to pieces. And she was very, very sick. And basically, you know, family comes first, man. Yeah. My mum was in, you know, she was in Charing Cross Hospital at the time. And I was, I, I mean, I, look, I can't even remember it too well. I think this was like, what, 2018. It was like the year of the World Cup. And I think I was, yeah, I was meant to basically, like the way how the radio is running, a few of us had to go down there and look after the radio at the, at the time. But nah, man, my mum was in hospital. And I think I actually tried to communicate, but basically it was almost like it wasn't respected what I was saying. And I'm like, nah, like, my mum comes first before anything. My mum and my two kids, straight up. Now nah, I got I got disrespected. And and that and and that's the fucking truth. I don't care if anybody hears this and says, oh my God, I can't believe you're saying that. No, like I'm telling the truth because you see, my mental health, listen, I, I was on the verge of doing some 
some fucked up things to myself and I'm going to keep it very real. And I was not in a good place, but I, I wanted to help people. But it was at a time where I was like, nah, I'm, I'm not doing this shit. I've got to put myself first. I was disrespected. And I, that was when I just decided I was like, fuck this station. And I said, I'm done. And I thought about it. And then, yeah, there was, you know, we was having like having it out on the phone and stuff like that. And I just thought, you know, I don't think people's hearing me. And I wasn't really in my right mind when I wrote it, but my feelings were true. And I, I just did that to make a stand, to just yeah. know, don't take the piss out of me. And it was out of character because I, I didn't want to have to do anything like that. But I honestly was not, my emotions was not yeah, in the right you're, place. You're also never really, I've never seen or heard anything bad about you in terms of being a negative person. No, nah, I'm, I'm not on it, man. Everyone knows me. I'm I'm on this peace and love thing. I crack jokes. I can talk a lot, as you probably found out today. But <laughs> that's, as, that's as far as it goes. But, but yeah, that was that. But look, six months went by. And then, you know, um, you know, someone uh, part of the radio who I was very close with at the time, you know, they got in touch with me and they were like, look, you know, you know, Carl wants to speak to you and stuff like that. So, and I was kind of missing, missing it. So I thought, all right, let me cut the long story short. I said, fuck it. I'll come back. But I ain't fuck all to do with management. I'm done. I've had enough. I don't want I don't want anything to do with it. I just want to be a DJ and play my show. Cool. But deep down, I, I, I don't know, Carl would always be like, nah, man, should always come back down here to London. I'm like, nah, I'm settled out where I am. Like, I'm not coming back to do radio, Carl. I want to do a radio show and concentrate on my career. This is my time for me to, you know, get DJ Henny G back on track as the producer. You know, I, you know, I had an album that came out in 2013 and it done very well on the underground. Um, you know, loads of like, you know, Q Magazine, Mix Mag, everything, Album of the Month, all this stuff. And I did that independently. Um, over 20,000 units. Amazing, wonderful. And I want to show people that I'm not just a one-trick pony. Like, you know, I'm an artist, you know, like I, I'm a creative. And I'm trying to work on my second album. I'm trying to, you know, get into film and TV and stuff like that as, as an actor and as a filmmaker. So those are the things that I wanted to contribute to. But the thing is, I wanted to contribute a lot of that to the station and contribute as a filmmaker, but I, I just felt like I wasn't really getting an opportunity to do those things. I was very creative and I was always willing to bring, it's like all of the ideas that I had, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna do it for myself. I'm gonna do it for the station. And I was just getting told no all the time. And that frustrated me. So that's that was my reasons or one of my reasons as to why I just couldn't be bothered with being a part on the side of Flex. And there's a, there's a, you know, there's a lovely girl on the station called Miss LA. She does the breakfast show on the station today as it stands. And it was me who A&R'd her. So I, I, I listened to her this morning. Um, and I'm very proud that she's on the station and she's doing well. She works behind the scenes on the station and she, they, you know, they contribute to a lot of the things that's, that's going, uh, you know, going on Flex. And she was someone who went to university. I think she got like a, a degree or some shit like that. I kind of saw that and thought, rah, I heard a radio show of hers that she was doing in Brighton at the time. And I just envisioned, I was like, you know, I could see her being a part of Flex when Flex is years down the line and she could be like maybe one of the faces of Flex. And to see her progress on to do that, even though I'm not a part of that, is a beautiful thing. But again, I just wanted to do my show. But if I fast forward it to last year, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I returned to the station. I was just doing a show, you know, I've got to say that, yeah, they, they, they was looking after me. They was making me feel like, yeah, man. Cause I think I got an afternoon show, like a four to six, like once or twice a month, something like that. And then 
I got uh, another prime time again. I was doing like an eight or 10 on, was it a Tuesday or Wednesday? Something like that. I can't even remember. This is last year. But I, again, I was going through some really dark, dark shit in my life and I had a nervous breakdown. I had a, I had a headline gig in Brighton. I had my radio show on Flex and I had a job as a supervisor and I was doing childcare. I didn't turn up to anything. And that was literally me at my lowest. And you know what? Since then, I've not returned to Flex. I've not spoken to I've not spoken to anyone apart from one person who's still there. But there was just certain things that I was just like, nah, you know what? I, I'm just I'm just in another part of my life. And I've kind of just left it behind me. But I'll say this now. I am very, very, very proud and very I don't have a bad bone in my body. I don't wish no one any badness. Yes, I will sit here and say Flex is definitely listen, it's gone in the direction that I always expected it to. But for me, I was very passionate about keeping Dons of the Underground, whether if you're, you see that, you see that brand, past, present, future? Yeah. That was me that did that. I branded that. Because when I was, when I was, Carl will say it's him, no, it was me. Yeah. And when I used to post up on, on the Facebooks when I was doing the, the, the social media, that was my way of like branding the station. Because I was like, rah, we've got the past, we've got the present, we've got the future. And that was my thing. And I always knew that when we was going down the legal road, of course, we're going to, you know, uh, you know, improve in some ways in the sense of like, there's going to be maybe a little bit more commercial music and whatnot. But I always said, listen, if we stay at the forefront of the underground and we have like DJs, DJs on there, we have like, you know, produce, like people that are just not even just from the underground, people that are just true to their art, their, the integrity, like that means everything to me. We've got a license that is a community license. So we don't have to follow that commercial rule. Yeah. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. We can play whatever we want. And yeah, it's a little bit annoying and frustrating that I feel like that on the scale, maybe when I was there, it's not like the way how it was, but I still think Flex is still a good station. If you listen to it now, you can tune in and it's one of the better community stations. Like some people say, oh, like they moan and say, oh, but I only her house. I'm like, yeah, because you're listening to it once in for an hour or maybe 10 minutes in a week. Like there, there is good music on the station, but it's just, it's just not what it was. And people just need to get past that. You know, like at the end of the day, rinse, you know, slightly changed. Although I would say rinse has still got their underground edge about them still, and they're still very, you know, to the core of like, you know, what's the word? Like kind of um you know, experimental music and like abstract and all that kind of stuff. Some people might not get it, but at least they're on top of their game. But Flex has kind of taken an, another path. But listen, Flex has got its path and it makes sense. It makes sense why it's there. You know, I just, I just want to see it work. I want to see it, you know, like not only just, because remember the FM is, is still there. People still have it in their cars, but the bottom line is, people are moving on onto the internet. It's all about visuals right now, you know? So, you know, you look at other radio stations, even if they're not rinse and even if it's not flex and they've got their thing and they've got their YouTube channel, they've got their Instagram and everything popping because they're, 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 they're ahead of the game in terms of knowing that their content, content can't just be placed in one, in one place, which is just the FM or the radio or whatever. You, you've got to be ahead of the game. And I feel like if flex is going to survive and if it's going to, be the station what people expected it to be it's got to stay ahead of 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 its of its time yeah. you know 
I agree. One station I'm looking forward to um, this one of license as well. It's weird that, uh, you know, we mentioned Kiss, obviously, was one. We didn't mention Choice. Choice, Choice got a license <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, in, yeah, so yeah. in between. Everyone, but, everyone forgets that, you know. Everyone do you know why? Forgets that. Because, do you remember what happened with Choice? What? What? Oh, the, what the overnight. Overnight. What, the capital thing? Bastards. Yeah, fuckery. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah fuckery. Yeah. Like yeah, literally fuckery. overnight, Global took Choice FM from Choice FM and everyone woke up the next morning, went to their car and it was Capital Extra. And you got No, but what was what is actually the true story about that? Because I I, I thought it was like all planned and like who who owned Choice Choice at that I time and I can't remember who walked who owned away it. the money? Oh, like all... it was it was definitely sold to Global. I know that much. Uh, Mad. And it was there. And th- you, know, you know what it's like with them things, though. They probably get told, like, oh, yeah, we're going to keep it as an urban brand. And then it's like, do you know what? We've already got capital. We might as well expand our audience. And don't get me wrong. There is still some good shows on there and there's some good DJs, but it ain't Choice. Do you know what I mean? Choice but Choice like- choice had a commercial license, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had a commercial. Yeah, because they had two frequencies. They had 96.9 and what was it? 107. 107.1. And I remember when that came on as like a kind of a second repeated to like, even though this, I thought that signal was shit, bruv, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Wasn't really that much better, yeah. Still sounded it's, better yeah. than what Capital were putting out now, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know um, what I mean? But uh, yeah, mu- oh, other, musically, musically, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like Jenny Francis and, you know what I mean? Like the, the proper stuff back in the day. But anyway, um, yeah. then obviously you guys, um, you know, we're talk- obviously other stations have got licenses over the years, we know that. But in terms of like big, big brands, like Flex was the next one. But the one that I'm quite excited about and it's coming around quickly, yeah, Select. Select, yeah. Do you know what? See, this is where I kind of feel like times has definitely changed because I've got to say, and I'm—I don't mean this in a big-headed way at all. And before I say what I say, Select FM, nothing. Never met the guys. Nothing but respect for Select FM. I remember hearing them. I know they was on another frequency beforehand. I think it was like 107, 103. Four or something like that. Eight, but I remember eighty nine point six for a while. Well, I heard them first on eight nine six, yeah. and I remember being in my house in my kitchen when I was first doing radio when I was like 17, 18, and the signal was pinging through my house. And I remember phoning around thinking, bruv, what's this station on 896? All right, bruv, they're coming from Palace, you know, they're all the way in <laughs> Southeast London. I was like, what? I was like, that signal is unreal. And you know what? You know, back in them days, they were a garage station. They were playing yeah. garage. I remember it very clearly. They were playing garage yeah. and stuff like that. I remember it. But over the years, they just um, kind of morphed into just the house station, you know, yeah. specific styles of house and whatnot. But their signal and their sound quality was always top notch. Like they were, m- m- the majority of the time they were in stereo. And I-, I love stations that can get a stereo signal, right? And their signal was always proper. But, you know, the music wasn't always necessarily for me, but I know for what they was doing, they were very professional. And this, this is it, and they even had the, now. They had the best of what they had on there, you know? Even now, I looked at their lineup the other day and I'm assuming, I think they're, they're launching in July as a, as a fully legal station, but they're still oh, online. Wow. Yeah, they're still online. Um, Ah, um, oh, so they so they did it like Rinse of then because Rinse stayed online, whereas we totally went off. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty, yeah. We I don't, totally I don't went know off. if they're playing just to play this, but I've heard music online anyway. Um, okay, but their lineup, like a lot of the, I mean, I'm a househead myself, but 
a lot of their stuff is like quite trancey and minimal. Yeah. It's not it's not my bag, but yeah, but it's gonna fill a gap. It's gonna yeah. fill a, it's gonna if, fill a if, gap. It's if gonna they fill a void. stay Absolutely. true to that, they can they can put in a couple of more commercialized drive time show and a breakfast show. But if they stay true to themselves, um, one DJ I hope stays on there is a guy called Terry James, He's an old mate of my dad's, and he plays on a Sunday lunchtime. He plays soul music, a little bit of soulful house. Um, yeah, I've heard. I don't know him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know very, very. He's, he's yeah, about yeah. sixty now. He must. Yeah, be, yeah. But he's a what? very yeah, yeah, yeah. serious. Yeah. He, oh, Shit. He's friends with my dad, and he's a few years older than my dad. He used to play on ah. like Galaxy and stations like that back. Oh, okay, yeah, back in the day. Okay, yeah. they actually um, if if he ever gets around to hearing this, which he might do through the grapevine, but they used to call him Dead Air Tell because at one point he was um, they used to DJ at his club in Woolwich, him and my dad, and mm. they used to they used to do like a live feed from the club to I think it was Galaxy one hundred two something or whatever, um, and they used to like obviously link from the roof of the club over, and a couple of times like Terry fucked it up and it all went dead air and they used to call him dead air tell but anyway um big him up a lot of people wouldn't know that about him but um yeah so i hope he stays on there there's a few other djs that are really good that i hope stick around on there but fingers crossed for them man and i hope you know no i've 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 got a good feeling because you know what i think look listen a lot of people i mean first of all what i was gonna say is is when when rinse fm got their license that was a big, big, big deal. That, bruv, that was get, that was in the Metro newspaper. There was little articles in magazines, and like that was a big, 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 big deal. Uh-huh. And purely because, obviously, of what Rinse FM has, you know, Rinse FM has been influential. You know, Dizzy Rascal. You know, plays you go roll deep, dubstep music, grime music, funky. Like you can't get away with the influence that that station and the impact it's had on on music culture that is now transcending into you know a, a worldwide thing. But even still, you know, flat. You know what? The most, <laughs> the most likes I've ever got on Facebook, ever on Facebook, was when I announced that we got a license, which was like over seven hundred likes. And for the, it's weird because for the amount of records that I've sold, I've never really had like a huge social media presence. But on that day, that was fucking big news. Now it might have not been what it was for Rinse, but it still was big news. Like. Everyone found out about it, and it was it was the talk of the time. People were excited for it, you know. You know, there's people that grew up on Flex FM. I mean, me and you are the same age group, so people that know about Flex before I was on there when it was one hundred three point six. It it was just a proud moment for a lot of people. Do you know what I'm saying? And that was a big, big, big thing. But it was actually someone who I spoke to from Flex last year when I hadn't returned because I still had someone who I, who I was talking to one day. And um, they told me that Select got a license. And I was like, huh? I was like, I was like, I was like where did that come from? But then I was like, no, I celebrated it. I clapped my hands. But no one knew about it. It was, yeah. it was it's almost like it was this top secret thing. So, but do you know what? Select, they deserve it. They, they definitely deserve it. And I do feel like, you know what? If Select can get this now, Look, this I've noticed like I scanned the FM dial the other day and I've noticed, raw that station's been on for a good few months. That station's been on for a good few months. That station's been on for a good few months. And someone's told me that Ofcom are approaching things in a different way where you know Ofcom are not just hitting you now. It's like they're leaving it down to the council if there's complaints or yep. some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. But let's just say if Ofcom comes out now and starts attacking everyone and they start killing off stations, I, I feel like there's a few stations there that you know, maybe they could probably go down the same route as Flex and as Select, as long as Ofcom doesn't try and kill them off. Because Dan said something that was actually really intelligent. You know, that thing that he was explaining towards the end of his podcast, where he was like, okay, yeah, here's a license. 
but in another aspect it's like killing you in another way yeah. and I thought that's I, I was like yeah I understand that and that's why I think if you're getting these community licenses I think to be honest with you Flex as a community station they've definitely got the best in terms of like like Carl he absolutely smashed it like in terms of like the 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 way how that, that signal is ridiculous it's a nice signal do you know what I'm saying and I always thought Rinch should should have had that kind of signal their signal is really really nice um but if you're if you're if you're coming with you know the uh, the community license, it's like okay, take advantage of um, the freedom that you have to. Because I feel like if you do that, as much as like okay, there's other ways that you can probably maybe make money or branding and stuff like that. But it's 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 filling the gap in the hole. I just kind of feel like it's pointless of competing to something that is majorly already done already. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's the only thing that I'll be like, okay, don't get lost in that. But if you like, you know, some of like, you know, um, Unique FM 101.2. Yep. I've always seen that station as like, right, you know what? If any, because I actually got a little bit rubbed. I've grew up on that station since I was like seven, eight years old. And when Flex got 101.4, I was like, oh shit, yeah. they're going to go. But for some, somehow they've actually survived it there. Yeah. And, and listen, I go past their aerial because my dad lives in Wilsden in Northwest London. I'm not going to give off the location, but the aerial was like on the top of some shots and I literally can go past it. Level double-decker bus, the aerial's right there, like in my face. It's like a scene from Crystal Palace. Do you know what I mean? Why does it's, everyone use them shops? Them shops yeah, have yeah, been battered yeah. for years. But do you know what it is? Because you see, in, you see in, in the location of where they are, because I went to school around there, it's, it's like a very strong community, yeah. like base station. So it's like, they feel like, listen, it wasn't just them. There was loads of other stations that was doing this. Yeah. So they feel like they can do it and get away with it. And it's been like that for years. But... I just kind of feel like, you know, with Unique FM, whereas the fact that they they did survive, if they didn't, you know, they're the type of station that I'm like, rah, okay, Choice is not here no more. Well, why is there another station not catering for that type of music? Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I and I kind of see things going that way if Ofcom are going to start playing the cat and mouse game again, which I don't know. Because the other the one focus would, be, is... um, would probably be on top. On top yes, another, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're another one. Yeah, they've, done, yeah, yeah. they've done things like... Um... They've done things like talk shows and stuff for years, like going yeah. back 10, 15 years. Now. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they have. It's, and do you know what's funny? The way how the station started, you know, Big Nasty, I spoke to him in 2014. This is the one time I spoke to him when I had a, because I had a gig with him in Brixton. No, uh, what's it called? Um, Brixton Jam. Brixton Jam in 2014. And it's the only time that I've met him and spoke to him. And he was like, my brethren introduced me to him. And he was like, yo, Listen, pirate radio, you know, Henny. Listen, on top of them, NAA, you know, that was us, man. That's a, and he, like, Big Nasty said it straight. He was so proud to even say it because these times now he started transcending into, you know, the YouTube world. And then obviously, I mean, the guy just won a bloody BAFTA the other day. A second, a second BAFTA. Yeah, yeah, in, <laughs> incredible. Do you know what I'm saying? But he was very proud to talk about on top. And a, a, a lot of people forget when that station started, which I do remember. Bruv, that was a ghetto grime station, bruv. So to see, I've never met the guy that um, that um, uh, owns and runs it, but I know who he is. I won't mention his name because it's still active right now. But to see the transition as to where it went, yeah, I take my hat off to to these radio stations, man. Like they're, they're still professional. And they do they do things where you're like, right, like they've even had like proper like celebrities like go down so there's one thing that's, stuff. that's really interesting about on top is a couple of the guys that used to be on there 
uh, used to do a show called the On Topic Talk Show, they actually went on to start Three Shots of Tequila, which is now one of the bigger UK podcasts on Spotify. Fuck off. What? what they, they came from On Top, yeah? Marvin and uh, Keith, yeah, Mr. Exposed. He was on On Top doing the On Topic right, Show I didn't years. see. I didn't know that, so I think it was, it was Mr. Exposed and another fella, and then Mr. Exposed left and Marvin took over. Uh, Mr. Exposed went, it was on Radar, doing a Radar breakfast show for a few years. Oh, wow. Um, and but yeah, they were all, boy- I mean, I've listened to Free Shots since it first started. I've followed those guys for years. But yeah, they're on, wow. like, they're on like their third on 300th episode. They're on Spotify. They have like. Yeah, yeah. That, that That's a big, 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 yeah. big, big podcast. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Those, yeah, I see. Those it, guys yeah. are one of the first UK podcasts to sign exclusively when Spotify took on a load of podcast content. So it's. These stations, man, like that station in particular has been doing things like that for years. And it's obviously proved to be a stepping stone and a platform for people to go on and do massive things. Yeah. things. That's what Carry on talking about it. Well, I'm just getting a glass of water. Sorry. <laughs> ah, there we go. Yeah. So as you were saying. Um, yeah. So it's like, oh, we've got a bit of an echo there. Oh, a bit of an echo. Yeah. Let me get the headphones back on. Sorry, man. Uh, so yeah, it's- my mouth is dry as hell. It's a massive platform um, for people to sort of go up a, up a gear and but rate that's to me that's what like the next level of pirate radio should have always been. I feel, like, I feel like Flex was doing a bit of that anyway. Yeah, uh, Rince always did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. For, for yeah. me, that's where it should be at. And to be honest with you, like if any of you pirate heads are listening out there and you want to rebroadcast this podcast or get me on to sit down <laughs> and talk to some of my guests, listen, I'm open to all them kind of offers there because yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what it yeah. should be about. I actually think that, I mean, me and Dan have had this conversation. I'm sure me and you will talk more about it in the coming weeks, but you know, celebrating the culture in a way that we have been not just on here, but other people are doing bits now as well. Uh, there's a guy called DJ Clockwork who does a lot of really cool blogs and some really cool photos and stuff of things he used to do. Obviously, Ashley, like my boy Ashley J, done the Freeze FM documentary. Like, mm-hmm. there's loads of bits and bobs in and around coming out. I think we just need to keep celebrating the culture because the pirate thing in and of itself is taking another step in terms of like it's more online. And I mean, it's you and I both know that every station for the last 10 years has pretty much been flexfm.co.uk and we don't broadcast on FM. Someone else is, is, is transmitting our signals. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, exactly. It, it, absolutely, in terms yeah. of that, like that's going to carry on anyway. And yeah. that, there's your cat and mouse game. But the reality is, is the brand and the stuff you can still build and just, you know, it, it's a totally different thing. It's not necessarily just about breaking the music anymore. It's cultural issues, you know, it's, it's conversation, it's comedy. It's like, there's a lot of good Do you stuff. know what? Do you know what? There's a, if you check this out, right? Um, basically, I'd done a gig with, um, it was actually a live stream. So I was like one of the very few experienced and maybe, you know, well-known DJs from the underground that actually did not do a live stream from their house. I, I just... I was just like, no, nah, I'm just going to wait for the right moment. And then again, I was going through some, you know, some, some, some dark times last year, but something came up and uh, I got a live stream with a live stream gig with Scream and Riz Latif. And I hadn't seen me and Scream used to see each other like every week between 2003 to like 2010, 11. And then obviously screams like, you know, like he kind of stopped playing dubs at the time and started playing a lot of house and everyone, everyone was just living life and stuff. And I hadn't seen Scream in ages, but I saw him for the first time in 10 years last year. And it was for this, uh, this thing called uh, this like, like this live stream brand called Face Transition. Now, if you, if you Google it, 
I, I'm the first, I was the very first DJ to play on there. It was, uh, it, I don't know if you heard about it. They did a, like a, a 58 hour stream. And there was like, um, Hatcher and everyone. With Hatcher, yeah, 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 yeah. I played yeah. on there. My set was a fucking disaster. Let me just say that. That was, that was the worst thing that I've ever done in my whole career. And there's there's a big story behind that, but I will leave that for another fucking time. But um, that yeah, that's another thing. But basically, the guy Ben who actually um founded Phase Transition, he actually breaks it down. If you go on his channel, Phase Transition, he actually breaks it down and he talks about like pirate mentality. So he's like talking about, of course, pirate radio, the mentality in that, but how that same mentality is moved over to online. Yeah. And the way how he articulated it, I thought, you know, that was brilliant, and that. Kind of leads me into my point because I was like, okay, seeing as I'm gone there. So basically, you know, me and Dan, we've got together and we've somehow got a production, very, very tiny, 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 tiny production team together. And it's like, do you know what? As you're saying, Pipe Radio is taking a turn. It does still exist. It will always exist as long as car stereos are still there with the FM dial in there and people are building transmitters. The FM dial will always bloody be there because you, I can't see Ofcom you know, being any worse than they were back in the bloody 90s. So it's proved this standard, it's, it's stood the test of time, but it's, 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 it's taken a turn. So I feel like one of the best things we could do is like what you're doing with this podcast, like to even have a platform. I've never, ever done this before in my whole career. Like, you know, obviously I know we've spoken in other areas of my career and stuff, but it's this is like designated for people that come from Pirate Radio. That's really important. And I know for a fact, you keep doing this, this shit is going to blow because there's so much people out there you can see even just on the comments like there's that channel um take me back pirate radio yeah, yeah. you know the, bruv fucking hell I, I know it's not like getting millions of views and whatnot but for the people that are enjoying that shit that that must listen i found sets on that and i'm like oh my god i remember listening to that live no fucking joke like because i was like a, 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 a anorak of listening to radio shows and i'm thinking well if i feel this way there's going to be a lot of people out there and that's why you know i've i've decided to um document this and and literally we're in the process of of writing a documentary stroke film so it's a documentary but i want it to be a, a film as well like giving it two angles and then it's going to be as raw as possible because i don't feel like anyone has done a documentary um that speaks on the culture of pirate radio yeah. from top to bottom and i'm talking about things that are not mentioned and when you know like the west london scene that gets like forgotten about, and you know, you know, people from you know the 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 you know the eighties and the early nineties, you know, people who lived and breathed Rager, and it was literally their life, and people who made money from it, and like literally every angle you can, you know, obviously we're going to be concentrate on a certain angle, but I still want to put as much stories and as much real stories as possible because even though I was blessed to be featured in a couple of them you know, a few, you know, a few, um, I just kind of feel like, nah, there's, there's, there's a big story out here that's not told. There's, so there's a lot to, you, you know? there's a lot we can tell that isn't, um, you can't fit into a five minute news night clip. Oh, hold on, hold on one sec, watch this. <laughs> is it, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still alive. I've been, I've been going on for hours. Let me call you back. All right, no worries. <laughs> All right, in a bit. All right, ladies. I just know. I know. By the way, he says buy that. That's Dan. So yeah, but um, but yeah. So as you were saying, man. But yeah, there's there's a lot that can be told that you can't fit into a five minute news night clip. 
Simple as that. Absolutely. Right. You always, look, you know, I filmed with them fuckers. Yeah, Dan was dead certain. He was like, "Yeah, Hen, this is gonna be a good look." <laughs> which it was. Which it was because I didn't mention earlier that I, I agree with Dan. I do feel a lot of people were like, "You lot are fucking crazy for going on Newsnight." Listen, I think Ofcom, Ofcom must have seen that, and they thought, "Nah, you know what? These guys look like normal people. They're serious, and they just." I think it helped us rather than it went against us. You know what I mean? And we've done a few things before. The other thing as well, let's be honest, it ain't like they don't know who everyone's faces are anyway. Of course, of course, of course. (laughs) And yeah, out there, you know what I mean? And this is the thing that, you know, people were giving Dan shit for filming up on the battleships and all that's such and such a station's block. And it's like, do you think they don't know that? Like how many times have they taken off that same station in the last year? Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, think they don't silly. know that every time it's, they go yeah. up there, it's the same thing? Like, yeah, it's uh, silly. oh, well, it's, it's it's on film, so uh, people are going to know there's a rig there. Uh, well, that was filmed three months ago, and ever since then, it's it's on a different block. And like, do you know, like, come on, man, like, do you know, do, there's yeah. being bait and saying yeah. names, yeah, and then yeah. there's like, it's a fucking public building. Do you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do you know what? Watch this. Yeah, when we done the brandy and coke um documentary for Channel Four, I think back in 2014. The block that you see me, Dan, and uh, Shinobi, I'm um, setting up on. We was we was actually try- so we was on the roof. This that was one of the the blocks on the ditch. It, you know, like the kind of creamy looking block. Dan knows the names. Is it? I can't. Yeah, I don't want to say because I probably get the name wrong. But it was it's it's a big block in Southfields, but it's not on the hill. It's actually one of the ones on the ditch. You yeah. live in Southfield. It's like the cream looking one, the kind of cream looking square one. one. The square, square one. Yeah, square yeah, one. Had a fire there a few years ago. Yes, yes, yeah, that yeah. one. So we, we, Dan was like, "Raw, we should go out there and do a dummy setup." So when we was on top of the block, we was looking in front, and at the time we was we was transmitting from the Arndale Center. That's where we was. We was on the Arndale Center at that point in time because we used that quite a lot. That block like kind of saved us and kind of just the blue and white. The blue, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of just kind of kept us going because there's there's two blue and white ones. We used the yeah, ones. The other we ones used the down. One, the other ones we, Castle Main, which is down Battersea. We had a rig there for two years. Yeah, we yeah. had a rig. We had that was the one where we had a rig welded to the yeah, side of the to, wall. I was saying to Dan, you can see it literally out of my missus's kitchen window. It's like right opposite. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the boys, <laughs> the boys absolutely smashed it with that setup. But when we done the documentary, um, we was transmitting from Arndale Center, but we was getting stick. Someone, I think the council, I don't even think it was someone troubling us. Like the council was kind of onto us up there. Ones were, and, ones were on it. Yeah. Sorry, and, on it. and then the documentary, the documentary came out and then Dan was like, Fuck it, let's go out there. So I think by the time um, the the thing actually came out on the TV, we was actually transmitting from there. It was like, so it didn't matter. We didn't fucking care. So what? Like at the end of the day, our rigs was never ever delocked like a fucking baby. Like, you know, like what I used to do as a kid. We all learned from that bullshit. Everything was always done properly. Like whenever them boys went up the block and they did something, it was done proper. But, and I tell you something, they, they actually jacked a rig on that block and you know what? I think Dan mentioned it. Yeah, they fucking knocked, they had to knock the whole chimney off. And I think they were up there for like fucking two days or some shit like that. <laughs> I'm sure that was the case. It was bad because like, and Dan was all saying to me like there was all bottles of water outside there and everything. But yeah, man, good times, good times. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you mentioned you're going to be getting together, doing a little bit of a documentary and stuff uh, slash film. What else have you got coming up in the next couple of months? Anything in terms of music? Any sort of other guest shows on radio or anything like that? Um, well, before I answer that question, let me just big up Bear in UK. Um, go and check out that channel, as Outlaw explained, because, you know, the person who's running that, they're the ones working with us um, to get this project on the go. So, yeah, big up Bearing UK. 
And uh, in terms of me, um, I'm just trying, so basically the studio that you see me in now is the studio that I I work with um, with my I call him like my uh, <laughs> trying to think of um, a word that I'm gonna say he's not gonna get embarrassed about um, what's the word I can find uh, protege protege and I, I was a youth worker a few years ago I met him you know doing youth work he played me some of his music I was like right one day you're gonna be my engineer and that's kind of like how it's kind of worked out but um he loves underground music and so do i i love you know music outside of underground music like i just love good music you know that this the thing is like i feel like the dubstep thing and being associated with grime and garage and whatnot is it's kind of pigeonholed me because i'm i'm just a music lover i just love music so much you know it's, it's my savior and basically you know the studio here this uh, this we're at nebula music limited which were based in maidenheads and um I've been working on my second album for forever, but um it's a project that's like kind of stop start just because of like personal stuff. But I'm trying to write a masterpiece, man. It's like I'm I'm very serious about taking, you know, my music, which you know gave me a lot of credit for in the past, but you know, and I'll I'll I will always be associated with the dubstep scene, always be associated with it. And I could I couldn't be so more so much more proud of being involved in that but as I've I've noticed over the years you know my musical taste that I had from like 15 years ago is coming through my soul it's almost like okay yeah I will write a 140 track I will write a dubstep track where I, you know I hate fucking names I really do I just want to yeah. make I just want to make music you know and you know I'm surrounded by like a lot of singers and spoken word artists and stuff like that and yeah, I'm gonna try and get like a couple of releases out um, this year. I've had like a lot of meetings like with a few labels and stuff like that. Um, there's always people on my case like to put out music, but the thing is, whereas I spent my years like touring and you know being a father and doing radio, I was never like your producers producer in the sense of in the sense of being overly prolific in the sense of like shitting out 25 beats a month. I was never that producer. Although I have the quality of trying to be that producer, but again, it's life, isn't it? It's like yeah. you got to take sacrifice. But yeah, I I I kind of just feel hungry to like start writing again and and getting this album back on track because I've got some stuff. I've got like a playlist that I've been going through, and I'm like, right, if I can get this right and just add some like you know some you know new sounds that are not forced because I want my music to be as natural as possible. Um, yeah, I feel like I'll be onto something. But again, I don't want to talk about it too much. I just want to not talk about it and, and do it. But yeah, basically my first album was called Childhood, but the second album is called um, Adulthood. So it's like a, it's going to be like a trilogy. So this is like the second part. And what I want to do with the with the second album is do a short film to it as well, yeah. which a lot of people are doing now. But I had the idea for this seven years ago and no one was really doing that back then. I mean, it had been done before, but in and around electronic music, but there's yeah. still a gap for, you know, people that are around in drum and bass or in dubstep. There's still not many doing it. So that's something that I've been working on. I've been writing a few like scripts here and there, and I'm trying to get something like a real deep personal story. So, so basically some of the shit that I've been through in my life is like, right, gonna try and add that to this. And then people can paint a picture 
a visual picture of you know what I'm trying to write as an artist so there's that but basically the main project what I'm working on now is um I can't mention the name of it but is the the film short documentary and I kind of feel like I'm in a transitional period where it's like shit fucking hell I'm actually a filmmaker now and I kind of don't know what I'm doing but I know what I'm doing because I've been a student of the game and stuff like that I've always like watched documentaries and you know, I, also another thing we didn't touch on, um, because I did a cameo on People Just Do Nothing. I was in series four and series five, so I was part of Cold FM. <laughs> and when I was on set with them, again, it was I've always wanted to be an actor, and it was great doing that. I've got a big up, um, uh, Steve Stamp, aka DJ Steve's, who was the even though it was like hoax or aka DJ Beats, that um, what do you call it that uh. I kind of grew up with around the times of like Pirate Radio and like um, Grinder or Sipa. They're big fans of me, but at the same time, I'm big fans of what they do. But it was a weird one because again, when I went there, I, it was so cool. I was like, wow, I'm, I've got, they've actually got me. Do you know what? In fact, do you know what they said to me when I spoke to Steve Stamp? Steve Stamp was like, do you know what, Henny? You're like a West London legend, man. And do you know what? I could easily like say, go and get Slimzy someone who's like super iconic, like in Pirate Radio. But he was like, I kind of rather have you because you're like, just like an underground, you know, Don. And that, that that's not my words, that's what he said. I'm not trying to big up myself in any shape or form. And when he said that, I was like, rah, I was like, okay. But at the same time, I was like, fucking hell. Like I was trying to fucking get on a program six, seven years ago because, you know, because, you know, before they actually won the license, before they, not won the license, before it got licensed to the BBC, or actually when they just got the license with the BBC, a guy called Ben Murray, who was involved in the early stages, cause we all knew each other. And I think they hadn't even done their pilot yet. He phoned me up and I just got involved with Flex. And he was like, yeah, you know what? Um, you're part of Flex, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And this is like 2010. And he was like, can I come down to your studio to see if, if we can film there? I was like, yeah, sweet. Mate, I've took him there and he's like, it's too nice. Yeah, he was it, like, we want to show. Down to, um, they came, yeah, and then they went to Image. Yeah. yeah, I think they went. They went to Image, so they, they came were, to. They Flex were with Fest. us. They were with us because basically. So was it Ben um, Murray? Was it Ben Murray? Can no, you remember what, him? What happened was, is um, Beats went to school with, or went to uni or college with uh, a DJ called Frenzy, who later became Night Shift, who was on Audio Rehab. Oh shit! Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, 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 Night yeah. Shift, Night Shift from Audio Rehab and Beats went uni, uni or college together, and basically, me and Eamon did the six to eight, and Frenzy did the eight to ten, and he was like, look. I'm going to bring these guys down for a bit. Now, we already knew people just do nothing from the YouTube series. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, the, we, the, the, the webisodes. Yeah, we used to watch it and just fucking crack up because we knew what it was a parody of, if you catch my drift. So it, absolutely genius. Like, yeah. and, we, and we all know where they really, really, really got the inspiration exactly. from. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and Sipar Grinder, he will tell you that. Yeah. Because I literally, yeah. he was in the studio with us. And I was like, like, because obviously when they were on radio and any time in front of the camera, completely in character. But obviously, we were. I was in the in the back room of Image of them smoking a zoo. I was still ice cold at the time, even. And yeah. We were smoking a zoo at the back, and I was chatting to him, and I was like, I was like, come on, fam. I was like, you and me know that this comes from 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 my man, in it. And he was like, of course, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, then, yeah, but that's yeah, what yeah, I was yeah. saying on one of the other podcasts was, to their credit, like them guys were involved in Scandal FM and other stations as well. So they've been about. They they they're not like biting off the culture. Do you know what I mean? They're actually absolutely. like ingrained. Absolutely. In it. So absolutely. And now they've got a movie coming out with like. 
like it's on Universal, bro. It's been yeah. Different. I've got a story to tell you about the real corrupt film, but I'm going to tell you it off air because <laughs> I'd, I'd feel really horrible if I said it on air. But um, but yeah, man. But them guys, you know, absolutely genius. I'm so proud of what they've done, and for them to like include me as a cameo, as an official cameo um on their series was like a big thing and again it gives you a taste for it though doesn't it it listen i got the, the listen after that i i've done about 15 auditions since to try and even be an actor because I, I'd, I'd actually seen outlaw do something like a short film ages ago like years ago around 2013 and uh, there was a lot of things that was pointing me in that direction but when when i did the you know we did the um the italian restaurant scene where where grinder and the other guy is arguing over the frequency to change frequency and i just thought and i'm sitting there and i'm like we're actually doing this in a bbc comedy <laughs> and when i and when i watched it back i thought do you know what for anyone that truly knows radio and has a good sense of humor that is like one of the best scenes so to be a part of that but i've got to be honest with you if i put that to a side again it was all well and good being there as like, you know, a cameo and stuff like that. But again, I was on set and I'm asking, I was so annoying on set. Like I was just like full of energy. Again, I was like going through a really shit time, but that was like one of my up moments. And I felt like I was learning something and I was like, rah, what, who's that? What, what, how do you do that? And I'm looking behind, I was just fucking annoying, but they could tell I was passionate. And that's why um, the director, um, I can't remember his name actually. That's really, really bad. But Steve Stamp um, got in touch with me again and he was like, yeah, Hen, you're coming back for series five. The directors asked for you to come back. And they gave me a little bit of a speaking part. Um, it was in the very first episode of series five, which was the last series. And I was back, we was back then. So I think that's where we talk about the sit down piss crew or some shit like that. And um, Corrupt FM has to play on Cold FM and they're like embarrassed to play on their like kind of thing and whatnot. But it, it was just really hilarious. But yeah, just... Just to do that, I, I mean, I never thought back in 2003 when I was first doing radio, I would end up doing anything like that. So it's just funny the way how things just go. And you know what, I hope, it's mental. I, I think, and you know, it might be kind of wishful thinking, but I actually think that when the movie comes out, I think it's going to peak a lot of interest. So for the rest of us who are like kind the of... It's what, like the in-betweeners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that. I think, you know, when people go, oh, what's this film about? They'll go back and watch the TV show. A lot of people go, oh, I remember Pirate Radio. And then hopefully, um, you know, a lot of people start paying a little bit more attention to the podcast and various other projects that you've got going on and whatnot. And uh, keep the flame burning, keep the fire alive and keep the dream rolling, mate. No doubt, no doubt. It's been over, well, we, we've done three hours of 40, but the pod's going to be about three hours and 20. And wow, I'm sure... I knew it, I knew it. Is that, <laughs> that's like a world record for you, isn't it? <laughs> no, it had you know to what, be the, me. The, the longest one I've done was my boy, Mr. E, but we've done that in studio. He literally came around because he lives around the corner and we yeah. just sat down and we just had a casual chat, but that wasn't necessarily just about radio. That was about like radio, youth work, Grenfell, because he was a youth worker when Grenfell happened. Like, oh, wow. Literally opposite Grenfell. So like Wow, okay. Like, um, so yeah, like a lot of a lot of deep conversation. That's episode 10 for anyone who wants to go back and listen to it. But do you know now that you mentioned that I'm the episode 10, I'm definitely gonna go and check that out. Yeah, later go and on. check it out. There's, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of radio talk, 
But um, then Eamon talks about his transition into being a youth worker, studying to be a youth worker. And then the experience that, you know, he was there, obviously, the night of the fire. I joined him the next day and we had, yeah, it's a moment between me and him that will just bond us for life because we were there dealing with it, you know. So, wow. yeah, we're, we're, he's, he's really ingrained in the community there. And obviously, we've got a lot of people in that in that sort of area. So, yeah, a wow, really interesting amazing. episode. And, yeah, not for the faint of heart for people who are a little bit easily um, upset by that sort of that subject. At least. No, yeah, that, that um, one does kind of grip on to me because I'm literally from down the road from there. Yeah, we were, we yeah. was filming there a few weeks ago. And, yeah, it, 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 I'm, I'm, an, I'm an emotional person. And, yeah. and I know five people. People that lived in that block and they all survived yeah. one of them i used to um you know do the radio with and i haven't seen him in years and i've seen him on the tv and stuff like that so yeah anytime that stuff um is put in front of me it's a very very touchy situation but, but i think you know from the background that you come from and and uh, the youth worker stuff that you've done i think it'd be a really good episode for you to listen to but also um bq the episode of bq was about three and a half hours long and we did an hour off air talking about shit we definitely couldn't talk about on air yeah. so this, yeah, is, yeah. this is one of the longer ones but mate it's been a real real pleasure um but thank, thank you, you so much for having me i'm putting up with me with my um big mouth that goes on forever but it's just it's all it's all passion it's all love and it's just but nice to have a platform the thing that... is is we could do another three and a half hour episode quite easily easily yeah well mm. well part two uh, as you know could always happen later on down the line depending on what you're doing in the future so yeah man but yeah it's been a pleasure bro no, no problem at all. Where can people follow you and get in touch with you on the socials? Yeah, so um, best place to get hold of me. I've been actually a little bit quiet recently, but I actually posted on my story um, today for the first time. But um, on my Instagram, you can just search DJ Henny G or it's... Um, is it? Yeah, at Henny Gustav. So it's my first name and my last name. So H-E-N-Y-G-U-S-T-A-V-E. But it will come up as DJ Henny G. Uh, on Facebook, if you search at Henny G, so if you search it at Henny G, H-E-N-Y-G, but the fan page is actually DJ space, then H-E-N-Y dot G. Uh, Twitter, at DJ Henny G, all one word. Um, yeah, that's the best places to find me. Um, my SoundCloud as well, um, which I do need to update. I'm, I'm a little bit slack on the social media, but getting to, you know, I was like into like computers and everything in the mid nineties thinking I knew everything. It's like, I'm sort too much for me now, but yeah, SoundCloud the same at DJ Henny G all, all one word. Have you and got music yeah. up on Spotify and the likes? Yeah, my album. Yeah. My album's on Spotify. Um, which I but, know because I listened to it a couple of days ago, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My album's on Spotify, but do you know what? Basically the second album is going to be like, uh, it's like it's going to be an extension, but it's going to connect to like, there's like garagey bits on there. There's like, I've even got an alias, a jungle alias that um, actually the latest 12 inch that I put out, there's um, copies. If you just Google it, so it's uh, a track called Watch Just Happens. It's actually the it's the first um, non-140 track or dubstep track I wrote. And I actually feel like it's some of my best work. I've ever done and it's something that's very close to me it's a lot of emotion in in, in that record um but it's called watch this happens but on the other side of it it's an alias a jungle alias called boogie brothers and that's just like the eight seven year old in me coming out just making jungle because i never got a chance to do it and yeah that was just a record i had a lot of fun with so i've got a lot more projects that i've been writing in the studio and this year i do aim to have a, a good couple of records out and just kind of build up from there i think the album's going to be ready for next year because I'm shooting this film this year. It's just going to be too much because we're doing it independently and it's not full time. But um, but yeah, but there's there's definitely a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I ain't going nowhere. I'm still as hungry as ever. Yeah. Mate, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with everything. And as I told Dan, I'm about, for, up, the, I'm about for the documentary footage from the pod, whatever you want, I'm there. So um, We've got you, man. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. 
episode oh, know, uh, episode 19 is a wrap i have no idea who's coming on next i've stopped getting to the point where i'm advertising next week's guest at the end of the <laughs> podcast because people drop out so um yeah. i know i know you're going to listen to this as well you know who you are for dropping <laughs> probably be on episode 20 but yeah henny g episode 19 of the overhill podcast don't forget follow on spotify subscribe on itunes subscribe on youtube subscribe on TuneIn. follow on Castbox. Check us out. Don't forget to email theoverthehillpodcast at gmail.com to keep in contact with the show. Big up everyone who's been sending in the emails once again this week. I've got I've got a mountain of emails to get to. You actually mentioned the Take Me Back Pirate Radio, guys. They emailed me a month ago about doing a podcast and I still ain't got back to them. So, guys, if you're listening, I'm going to get around to you, I promise. But in the meantime, take care, stay safe, keep washing your hands and uh, don't sneeze in anyone's face because not only is it rude, but we, we want to be over these restrictions, all right? So, oh, shit. Peace out, everybody. <laughs> Laters.